Father, we come to you and thank you and praise you one more time for a privilege to teach your mighty word. Lord, we ask you to direct our paths today and everything, everywhere I ask you to speak out of my mouth, I ask you to direct everything I do, everything I say. And then I ask you, Lord, to direct the words, your words, because you said you sent forth your word and healed them. So, Lord, you let your word hit on their hearts, on their ears, on their mind, everywhere, so that they will hear your word and be healed. Lord, and those that don't need healing, I ask you to let this word fall on their hearts so they will learn what they're supposed to do so they won't break your rules, so they won't never need healing, so they can walk in divine health all of their life because that's what you promised if we would do what you said. Now, Father, we thank you for this privilege one more time to teach your word. We ask you to bless everything we do today. And we ask you, Lord, just to be here walking among us and convicting us of sin and of your word so that we'll hear it. We rebuke every devil of hell, command every demon of hell to check out, to get outside the building, to not steal a word out of anybody's mind or heart because Luke 10, 19, and 20 says they have to be subject to us in the name of Jesus. So, Father, we thank you and praise you for giving us power over the evil spirits, making them subject to your word. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for blessing us. As we go through this healing school today, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, to start off today, I want us to go to Deuteronomy chapter 30. And I want to show you some things that was required under the law. And then we'll get over in the New Covenant, and we'll talk about some of these things. But in Deuteronomy thirty sixteen is where we're going to start. Remember, this God that we serve has never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he wrote that for us in Hebrews 13, 8. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. So if God never changes, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, what have he said in the Old Testament still goes in the New Testament. If he hated one thing in the Old Testament, he hadn't changed his mind. He still hates it. And so he don't ever change. Now, you and I can change. But God and His Word cannot change. Because He said so. And so since He said so, that's good enough for me. The thing I think that people miss, they, people that come to Christ and get saved, or people that are lost for sure, they think that they've heard about God is a God of love. And that a God of love could never do anything bad or harmful or hurtful to a human being. But let me tell you, how many of you in this room that have children love your children? All of you do. You love your children. Have you ever done anything that hurt one of your children? I'm telling you. Yeah, sometimes we let, like mamas, you know, mamas are usually worse than daddies, but this is not always the case. Sometimes... Mamas are around the children so much, you know, they'll say, Johnny, you do this for mom, little four-year-old Johnny, and he's got his own mind. You know, he's going to go another direction. He's going to do something else. Mama said, Johnny, get back in here and pick up those toys and put them in that box. Well, he goes over here and he does this. And about the tenth time Mama tells him, she's lost it, especially after the cat's tripped her twice. The dog ran in the door and she fell down and skinned her knee. 
Now, everything's building up with mama. I know some of you mamas have been there and done this. And about the tenth time, instead of telling him in love, you pick him up and wear out his little bottle. None of you mamas ever done that, have you? Y'all know where I'm coming from. Now, you really hurt that little kid, and when you, when in, out of that anger, you plan to hurt him. You know that? You plan to hurt him. Now, that's your own offspring. That's your baby. That's the little guy that you brought into the world in pain and suffering. And when you held that little guy in your arms the first time, you thought, oh, isn't he sweet? He could never do anything to hurt mama. Well, let me tell you. You didn't know the lion you were holding on your chest, I guarantee you. Because they have a mind of their own as they grow up, and there will be times you have to hurt them. And sometimes you hurt them in love. Now, that's the way you should always do it. But unfortunately, we don't do that. But God always does that. He never loses his cool with us like that, and he does not go into fits of anger and rage. But we do. But God doesn't. But the thing about it is, when God tells you to do something... He has got what he calls curses and blessings. And we're going to talk about these today. And he, we're going to see where that when you, when God makes a set of rules and you don't obey the rule, he doesn't leave, you do. And when you leave, then you step out there and it depends upon what you did, he pronounces a curse upon you. And when he pronounces a curse upon you, then that releases a demon to come to you to torment you. Now, depending on what you did as to what kind of demon you got. And this is why we've had such a miserable rate of healing in the church today. Because people that are under a curse from God have got a demon which brought sickness and disease to their body because of their sin. Because Proverbs 26, 2 says... No curse comes upon you undeserved. Now, you think about your child. Do you have any children, sir? You don't spank your children when they're doing good for it, do you? No, you love them. I mean, you want to do good things for them. It's only when they just go beyond the limit and broke the final thing. And then usually you'll tell them several times, or at least one or two or three. And then you finally say, okay, that's it. Bam. Now, if you do it in love... And you say, okay, come over here, son. Come over here. What's wrong? Come over here. Take your belt off. What are you going to do? I'm going to bust your backside. Daddy, I told you. This is the third time I told you not to do that. So I'm going to bust you. So you get him around there, and you bust him real good. He cries, and you set him down. And I'm saying, now, I told you. I told you not to do that because I love you, and you have to obey me. Now, see, that's the way it should be done. Then he goes away in love, thinking, Daddy, Said he loves me, but he sure did hurt me. You know, but at least he sees both sides. Now, see, God always loves you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. But he will speak a curse over you, and it can take your life. Now, just to give you an example of how there is seven things God hates, and one of them is pride. One of them is pride. I had a fantastic young man that uh, he was selected into a government office that normally you have to run for. But the man that was in that office was taken out of that office because he retired early because of something. I don't know what it was illness or whatever it was. So they just selected this man to be this particular government official. Well, he's a young man. He didn't have to 
work for this thing. He didn't have to run for it. He just got elected into a very, very powerful position in a big city. It would be real easy for a young man like that to get into a place of pride. But he's a very humble man in most areas. But he called me the other day and told me, he said, Tommy, I've got to tell you this story. He's been, been here several times, and he's uh, uh, listened to a lot of my teaching. And so he said, my wife and I went down south into the ocean area to take a little few days vacation. And he took his surfboard that he liked to surf and all this stuff. So wherever they went, they had the big waves. And he said, when I got down there, he said, I'm not the best swimmer in the world. Fairly good. But I don't do this very often. But he says, uh, all the men that were down there, you know, they lived down there and they were really good. And none of them were wearing a, a life jacket. So he said, I thought, you know, if I go out there and wear a life jacket, I'm going to look like a wimp among all these boys. You know, pride. Us men, you know, we got a problem with pride. I mean, I know none of y'all got this problem besides me, you know, me and him, you know, the rest of y'all okay. But we got this problem to a degree. Well, I'm trying to get rid of it totally, completely. Well, he goes out there and he's coming flying in on his surfboard, you know, everything's going great. He's way out there. You know, when you swim out there with it, you know, it's real easy because you've got this big old board holding you up. And when you turn around and get on the wave, start back in, you're on this thing, and man, it's life's fun. It's really fun until another wave hits you and knocks that thing up under you, and it goes flying beyond anything you can swim to. And you're out there in the middle of the ocean, and you're going down, and you're coming up, and you're going down, and you're coming up, and all of a sudden you know you're totally, totally exhausted. You go down one more time, you know you're not coming up. And you're crying out to God, God, please save me. And he said, I'm fixing to go down. I know if I go down this time, I'm going to drown. And he said, a guy comes over. And there, and he stopped. He comes by right by me, picks me up, and takes me on in. And he said, I'm laying on the bank. And I'm praising God and thanking in my exhaustion. Lord, thank you for saving me. And he said, the Lord spoke to me as clear as I ever heard his voice. He called my name. I just used my name. That's like he said, Thurman, you either get rid of that pride and put that life jacket on, or next time I'm going to let you drown. Does God hate pride? Mm-hmm. Will he let you die with your pride? Yes, he will. That will kill you. You've got to get over that pride. Now, I know it's usually a whole lot harder for men to overcome this than it is women. But sometimes women have a problem with this, too. People have a problem with it. So God has made a set of rules. And if he says he hates something, and we know over there in the book of Proverbs, there is a place that there's six things that the Lord hates. No, there's seven. Seven things God hates. Well, let me tell you, it wouldn't be a bad idea to read down through those seven. And if he hates them, don't do them. Because if you do them, they're going to bring some kind of demonic activity to you or some kind of sickness or disease to your flesh. Because God don't play games. He has a set of rules. He tells you what to do and what not to do. And when we break his rules, we open the door to these demonic spirits. When I learned this principle, it changed everything in my life. Now then, let me show you what he said. And to confirm these things, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, starting with verse 16. In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his way. Now, that's the first commandment. What is it? 
love the Lord thy God and to walk in His ways. Now then, what was the very first thing you thought of this morning when you woke up? Anybody remember? Sharon, what was the first thing you thought of? Hey, now there's a girl with the right answer. There's a girl that's learned to love God. I bet you that lady sitting right beside her did the same thing. Knowing both those girls, I bet both them girls did the same thing. They didn't think about breakfast. They didn't think about looking over and telling their husband how handsome he was. Didn't think about doing nothing except praising God. Now, sure, he's got a husband and uh, the other one doesn't. Oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that, but anyway, she doesn't have it this time. But, uh, huh? He's on his way. Yeah, she's praying for him, so he's on his way. So, you know, just uh But the Lord says, in this, or in that, I, in that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God and to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes. Now then... Why is it the church, now I know the world's not going to do that because they don't even know that, but why does the church not do that? They don't do that. Because number one, we don't know what his statutes are. We don't know what his commandments are. We don't know what God has required. So since we don't know, then we go do what we want to do. And I'll tell you for sure, what we do is always wrong. Because if you don't have the word hidden in your heart, you're living in the flesh. And the flesh always does it wrong. It never does it God's way. The flesh never does it right. But after he's told us to do this, then he said, after you keep his uh, statutes and his judgments, that you might live and multiply. That you may live and multiply. Well, God, if you don't live, what's the consequences of not living? Huh? Death. I don't know about you, but I'm not ready to die yet, are you? So then we better learn what His commandments are, hadn't we? Because, see, we don't look at it like that. Well, God's a great big loving God up here. He would never do nothing like this to me. Oh, yes, He will. He certainly will, because He said it in His Word. You need to, begin, need to understand. You know who's in control of your life? It's not you. You have everything to do with how long you live. But when you break God's rules, in fact, somebody, I made a statement the other day on television out there at GLC about there was a sin unto death. Obviously, a lot of people had never heard that statement because we had several call-ins. When they, we took a break, they brought the call-ins to me and I'm going down through people saying, a sin, what is a sin unto death? So, whenever we came back on the air after the girls sing a couple of songs, I told the people, I said, well, one thing about it, we know that the sins, sometimes the sin unto death is different one time than it is another time. Because I said, let me ask you a question with the crowd that was in there that night. I said, how many of you people in here, including myself, can hold up our hand and say you have never, ever told even a tiny lie in your life? Nobody held up their hand. Nobody held up their hand. I said, so we know we've all lied at one time or another. Every one of us. I said, now then, God says he hates lying. But when you mix it with money, when you mix lying with money, Ananias and Sapphira in the first church sold a piece of land and they lied to God. Now let's just say they got $50 for the piece of land. 
we don't know what the money, what the value was, but it might have been five dollars. Who knows what it was? But I'll use fifty. They say they got fifty, and they came in and out. And I walked up to Peter, and he said, "Peter, we sold our piece of land for thirty dollars, and we want to give it all to the Lord." And Peter said, "Why have you decided to lie to God? Wasn't the land yours? Couldn't you have done with it whatever you wanted to? I mean, you could have sold it for what you wanted. You could have given God what you wanted to, but you lied." He said, because you lied, you're dead. And he died. So lying can be a sin unto death, can it? So, I mean, so if lying can be a sin unto death, next time you start to tell a lie, think about that. It might be this time the sin unto death for you. Is that right, brother? That's right. It could be. But see, we, we take that lying like a thirty-eight revolver with only one bullet in the chamber. We're getting ready to tell a story with someone. I can't possibly tell Sherry the truth this time. Because if I do, it might make me look bad. So I'll just tell her a little lie. So what you do, you put one bullet in that third inch, you spin the cylinder, you pull it back and put it to your head, and you tell a lie, hoping that it wasn't the sin unto death. But if that day was the sin unto death, you drop dead. You know? Isn't that amazing? Well, his wife comes in three hours later, and Peter said, did y'all really sell the land for $30? And you give it all to God? She said, oh yeah, that's the price. He said, why have you two decided to lie to God? And she fell dead. And it says, in great fear fell upon the church. Don't you think it's about time? When's the last time you had somebody come up? When's the last time you ever seen this? Some people say today, you don't have to tithe. No, that's right. Under the law, under the law... God demanded we give him 10% under the law, under a covenant that was sealed in the blood of animals. But under the new covenant, we don't even belong to him, us. We belong to him, and he sealed it in his covenant. So now he said, give. Now, do you think when he says given, it should be given to you? you think if he demanded 10% under the law with the blood of goats and animals, do you think he's going to be satisfied with less than 10 under the new covenant? No, he wants it all. He wants it all. He wants you. He wants your income. He wants your children. He wants you to do everything for him because you're not your own anymore. You're bought with a price. And he paid an awful price for you and me, Orville. So he wants it all. So, somebody said, well, I'm not going to tithe. Well, I'm going to tell you. Today, in fact, just like this ministry, talking about tithing, when I came here, and opened this little church. We started out, of course, didn't have no chairs, didn't have nothing. And I just announced on the radio it was going to start a ministry here. Fred was going to let me use the building. At that time, he was not going to charge me for a little space here. I didn't need much space. I said, so I, I, I do that. And I told him, I said, now, you know, I've always given away my tapes. I didn't have very many tapes. I had a few videos and, and a, a few audio tapes. But I said, I'll just keep giving them away. Fred said, now, wait a minute, Thurman. When you were just out there walking around among the people, you know, once in a while, it's not too bad to give away stuff. But said, when you start a church or a ministry, he said, they're going to come in here, and when they find out this stuff's free, they're going to haul it out in sackfuls. He said, you can't afford to give it away. Now, wait a minute. In Luke 6, 38, Jesus said, give, and it... It what? Give, and it shall be given. Do you think he meant what he said? Are you big enough to trust him? Oh, yeah. See, this is where you find out 
Do you believe the word? I mean, give and it shall be given. And so you make a box full of tapes and you think, well, okay, there's a hundred dollars worth, a hundred dollars worth of stuff. And there's fifty dollars worth and there's a hundred dollars worth and, ooh, that took all the money I had. And Lord, I'm going to take it down there and hope you're going to do something. Forget it. There ain't nothing going to happen. You're going to lose your money. It don't work like that. You say, Lord, this is your ministry. Everything I got belongs to you. I'm going to buy these tapes. I'm going to make them. I'm going to set them back there and I'm going to give them away. And I'm going to trust you and bring the money back in to replenish them and buy the equipment to make them. I said, Lord, thank you. Now, he only let me spend $50,000 of our own money before he started bringing it back in. He found out I was serious. I invested $50,000 in equipment and tapes before a penny came back in. And then it started coming back in. And we have never been in the red since that day. This ministry has never been in the red. See, I mean, God says give. That's like here one day, I, well, I had a few tastes of my pickup, and I pulled up there, and there's a dentist there. He holidays the Thurman Scrivener, come over here. I said, okay. I walked in, he said, a brother, a, mind, a friend of mine, another dentist, said, you made some tapes called The Curses and the Blessings. I said, oh, yeah, i got a few of them in my pickup right now. He said, can I have a set of them? I said, well, just two of them, Curses 1 and 2. He said, I said, I run over and got them. He said, how much do you charge for them? I said, they're free. I don't charge for nothing. He said, you give them one? I said, sure. I said, here, be my guest. He said, well, just a minute. He reached in his back pocket, pulled out one bill, folded it up. I didn't even look. Handed it to me. I stuck it in my pocket. I said, thank you, sir. And I get down the road and I stop somewhere and I reach in my pocket, pull out an unfold. $100 bill. Man, for two little tapes. $100. See, give and it shall be given unto you. Now, what if I said, well, yeah, they're a dollar and a half a piece. Well, he'd have reached in his pocket and give me $3. And said, thank you. But since I said... They're free, and the Lord says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. He blessed your socks off. See? So that's the way God has blessed this ministry ever since, because we give away everything we do. Just so that you have some idea. Three weeks in a row now, well, this last week, I didn't order anything. But the three weeks before, the, we ordered a $4,200 or $4,300 worth of blank media one week, $4,900 worth another week, and $4,300 or $4,400 worth the next week. That's $15,000 worth of blank tapes in three weeks that y'all are hauling out the door free. <laughs> Guess what? God's bringing some money back in from somewhere to buy all that, isn't he? Amen. He sure is. But he is blessing us and he's paying every bill, buying every piece of equipment. And I mean, when you give and it shall be given. I mean, it's just amazing. I, I stand in awe of what God has done. We bought $9,640 worth of new printers and stuff the other day. I was out looking for it, and a man called me and says, Do your ministry need anything? I said, well, right now, sir, we're looking at some new printers and some new high-speed printers to print these labels on these CDs and DVDs. He said, well, how much are they going to cost? I said, well, it looks like about $10,000. i am not sure. He said, when you get them, give me a call, and I'll see what I can do. Okay. About three days later, he called and said, you figured it out yet? I said, not yet, but I'm getting it. Well, three or four days later, I had figured it out. I bought them, and so I called him, and I said, well, we got everything. He said, what did it come to? I said, $9,640. He said, well, I'll check with my wife. We'll see what we can do, and I'll call you back. About two hours, he called back and said, there's an express check 
mail, a check in the mail, you'll get it tomorrow for $9,640. He paid for it all. Amen. See, give it, it shall be given unto you. Isn't that awesome? I mean, before I got in the ministry, I never had anybody walk up to me and hand me a $9,600 check. Never. Ain't never happened. I worked a long, hard, long time for $9,000, didn't we, Arnold? That's the way the system works. You work and they pay you. You give and God gives. And let me tell you, He gives good. He really blesses our socks off. So that's how we do all the things we do. We get all this stuff and God blesses us because we do what He says. We keep His commandments. But He says... In verse 17, tells what he will do, how he will, you will live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless you in the land whither thou goest to possess it. Who's going to bless you? God is, because of your obedience. But now let's see what he says is going to happen if you do not, in verse 17. But if, you know, but and if, sure is two big words in the Bible, aren't they? Yes, sir. But and if, but if thou heart turn away so that thou will not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce or announce unto you this day that you shall surely perish. And that you shall not prolong your days upon the land. Now, if you do not prolong your days upon that, it means you die early. Whether thou passes over Jordan to go in it. And then look, in fact, let me elaborate on that just a minute. One of the commandments, this is something I've noticed, and people don't realize this. It's taken me a long time to recognize this. You get two brothers raised up in a home. One of those boys lives to be 45 and he has a pretty bad life. It seems like lots of sickness and disease, all kinds of things and problems happen. And at 45, he dies with a heart attack. But the other one, he lives on to 85. Everything he does seems to go good. And you think, what is the deal here? So you go down, sit down and talk with the 80-year-old man that you heard that his brother died when he was 45. You said, tell me, what kind of home are you all raised up in? Well, we're Christians. Mom and daddy, great mom and dad, you know, they both live to be old. I said, well, tell me about your life. And so he started telling me about life, about how, what he did and, and things, he, places he went and where he went to school. And, and then I began asking spiritual things. What, were you, oh, when did you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior? And, and he tells you, you know, well, 11, 12, 13. You walk with God? Yeah, well, pretty well. You made a few little mistakes, but... Not many. Yeah, I walked with God, went to Sunday school church, became a uh, deacon, Sunday school teacher in the church, served God, loved Him, walked in obedience. Uh, what did you do with your parents? I mean, did you obey them? Oh, yeah. I mean, Mom, Dad told me something. I did it. Okay. So you're 85 years old and you're still healthy. How about your brother? Did your brother raise up in the same environment? Did he always obey Mom and Dad? Oh, no. He said Mom would tell him to do something. He'd talk back to her and he didn't want to do nothing. And, uh, I mean, he tried to hide everything from Daddy, and uh, he wouldn't honor Mom and Dad. He just did what he wanted to do. He showed he'd get lots of tail bustings, but said he still did what he did. Even when he got old, he'd not honor Mother and Dad. He'd talk evil about them to somebody. Say, the old man, the old woman, you know. Yeah, the old man used to want me to do this, but I didn't like to help him out there on the farm, so I'd hide out. 
But he died at 45. The Lord says, Children, obey your parents in all things that your life may be long on the earth. If you don't obey your parents, that means your life will not be long on the earth. How many people put that together? It was a commandment of God and you didn't keep it. Do you know when you see a young person in church rebelling against their parents, if the parents don't know this principle, you need to tell that parent, that child, by you not demanding that child, be obedient to reverence you, it is costing that child his life. Most people never associate that, do they? Never. But if God made that statement, Arvel, if he made that statement, you think he's going to be behind that statement? Yes, he's going to be behind that statement. Now, if we don't tell people the truth about God's Word, and they don't honor God's Word and do what he says, they're going to die prematurely. And what people will say, I say, gee, seemed like such a nice man. He died at 45. Isn't that a shame? But, you know, he had all kinds of problems all during his life. I can remember when, you know, John did this. I mean, this went wrong and his car broke down regular. It seemed like, you know, he married a woman he couldn't get along with. He married another and couldn't get along with her. Had all kinds of problems in his life. Just had hell on earth, they say. Why did he have all that? Because he refused to obey his parents. God made that statement, didn't he? We all in the church know that. That's like one day when I was raising my children. I was a deacon and everything, and I was a usher, and I was doing everything. Well, I taught my little children. I'd sell them right up here on the front row. And I sat down, Tim and Amanda, and I said, Now, son, you and Amanda, I want you all to sit here. You can draw or whatever you do, but don't get them walk around. You stay right there. You be quiet. You don't talk, because it'll be halfway through the service before I'll be able to get down here and sit with you. And so I said, I'm not going to be able to be with you, so y'all must be quiet. Well, one day a lady was back there, and I was putting people in. She said, Mr. Scrivener, I don't understand. Her, she had three little children with her, and she was having all kinds of problems. She was telling them, listen, do this, and he's crawling under the seat. And she would say, would you please get up and sit in that seat? He didn't pay no attention to her. He'd crawl under that seat, and he's over here doing it. She'd reach over and say, get up in that seat. And he'd get right back out and go do something. She said, you know, raising children is terrible. I said, it, all, it is only if you let it be. She said, I wish mine would do what yours does. She said, you go down there and yours go down there. They sit there, they're perfectly quiet. I said, well, ma'am, I told them to do that. Well, she said, I tell mine too, but they don't obey. I said, yeah, but you don't do what I do. I said, if I'd have told mine to get up in that chair and he'd have crawled out while he's crawling on that seat in front, I'd have tucked my belt off and I'd have lit his rear end with a fire. And I said, I guarantee he'd have backed out and said, whoa, he after crying five minutes, he'd sit in that chair. And I said, now, young man, if you think that's something, you get up one more time. If you think that was tough, the next time it's going to be three times that bad. And then he, I said, when he gets up that second time, puts you to the test, you light his tail. You make it red with that belt. I said, he'll get up and sit down. Next time you say, son, sit down right there, I guarantee he'll sit down. I said, that's where you got to live. I said, that's why them two, when I tell them to go down there and sit down, they do what I tell them. Because they know if they don't, there's a consequence. Well, see, here's the thing about God. He's invisible and you can't see him. 
The demonic world is invisible and you can't see it either. But it's there. And when God says, children, obey your parents. If the children do not obey the parents, the Lord himself will release a demonic spirit to those children. And as they go through life, they will be tormented, they'll be sick, they'll be afflicted, their cars will break down, they'll be broke, they'll try to marry a woman and they can't love her, and they'll have a divorce and may have children, and those children go their own way. And all those devastating things happen, all because that man did not obey and reverence his parents. God's no respect your person. When he said it, brother, that's what he means. That's awesome, isn't it? See, when you start reading this book as an owner's manual, you begin to find out why people have the problems they have. Because they don't obey the Word of God. Who would have ever thought if God says, children, obey your parents in all things, that your life may be long on the earth. He really meant that. But he did, didn't he? And so when you see someone... Now then, is there, if you get to those people before they die, is there hope for those people? Of course, today, under the blood covenant they, and the blood of Jesus, they can go to their parents and say, Mom and Dad, I have sinned against you and God. I ask you, Mom and Dad, to forgive me for all those stupid things I did. I will honor you. I will be good to you. And I ask God to forgive me, and I will become a different man. This guy may be 30 years old. He might be 40 years old. But from that point on, then after repenting, the evil spirits have been tormenting him can go away and that man's life can totally be a different life. Isn't that amazing? See, that's why sickness and disease, that's one of the things, one of the reasons sickness and disease comes upon us. Now listen to what he says in the next verse. Verse 19. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. That I, God, have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Therefore, choose life that both you and your seed or your children may live. Now, what is he called as a record against us? Heaven and earth. Okay, what does that mean? I've called heaven and earth as a record against you. Heaven. There is a second heaven. There's three heavens. That's what the Bible talks about. The third heaven is there out there somewhere in the north where God is. The second heaven encompasses all the rest of the space, including the space you and I walk in. And the first heaven is also the physical, tangible heaven that you and I live in that we feel comfortable because we can see it. But within the same space is a second heaven. And that one is the heaven that both the demonic spirits dwell in and the heavenly beings dwell in. How many of you know right here in this room today, in the second heaven, there is angels standing right here and you can't see them? They're right here, aren't they, Arnold? Yeah, they're here. But do you know that there's demonic spirits here too. That's like one day I heard a woman. She said, I was sitting in a church and all of a sudden they started to take up the offering. And she said, they're passing the offering plate. And all of a sudden I looked up and here's these magnificent beings standing all over the place with their notepads. And she said, when the offering plate was passed, one of them would walk right up here to this guy and then he'd go right over here to this lady. 
She said, Lord, what are those? He said, that's my angels. She said, what are they doing? He said, they're recording exactly how much money each person's giving. And also, they're recording the attitude of their heart for which they give it. He said, I love cheerful givers. He said, those that give grudgingly, I don't give them a reward. Only those that give cheerfully. That woman told me that. I thought, good grief. Lord, let me give cheerfully from now on. Don't never let me give grudgingly because it's being recorded. Isn't that amazing? See, in this invisible realm that we can't see, he calls heaven and earth. Heaven is the second heaven. And here's these invisible beings, angels, and they're watching. But yet on the earthly realm, the demons are there in that second heaven. And they're confined to earth. They can't get off of the earth. The demons can't. But they're walking around on this earth, devouring whom they may. And they're keeping good record too. You make a mistake, that demon says, oh, he just sinned right here. It's written in the Word, don't do this. And he just did it. Well, you don't get by with nothing. They got it on record. <clears throat> do you know that in some of the stores you go in today, in fact, most of them, most grocery stores, especially large change grocery stores. I was up in the northeast here a while back, and I walked in and I looked, and of course, knowing what I know about the engineering world, I had a meeting with a manager in that store, and I walked in and I said, do you have cameras in every, is every one of them light fixtures that's got the little bitty tiny brown bubble on the bottom of it? I said, is that a camera? He said, those are cameras. I said, good grief, you've got them in every aisle, about every 20 feet. He said, yes, there's not one square inch in this store that's not under surveillance with cameras. We've got monitors in a room, and everything is recorded. Everything, every day. I said, what happened to cause you all to need that? He said, we had a bunch of people. Now, this is up in the Virginia area. He said, we had a bunch of people from foreign countries that are coming here to America, and they found out the insurance that we carry in these stores, that if you fall down and get hurt, they can sue us, and they were taking tens of thousands of dollars out of our stores by slipping down, dropping a bottle or something, breaking, and then falling down and saying their back is injured, and we could never prove anything different. So they were winning their cases. Said so we had spent tens of thousands of dollars in these cases. So he said, we went into all of our stores, and every square inch is covered. Now then, if they take something off the shelf, and they drop it and break it, and he said, the first time they did that, they didn't know we had these cameras. So he said, when we had it on film, he said, immediately that got back to all of them, and said, that problem has completely went away in all of our food stores. Isn't it a shame the world we live in? See? But if you think that camera system is good... You ought to see God's. <laughs> One day, when you get to heaven, He'll flash back instantly before your eyes your entire life from the time you were conceived until right then. He knows every, and He says, I'll even hold you accountable for every idle word you spoke. You know how ashamed we're going to be someday when we stand in His presence if we wasn't under the blood and ever sin repented of and confessed? You know how ashamed we would be? Because we've done some dumb things. 
Well, maybe I should say, I've done some dumb things, but I've got a feeling some of y'all have too. We're human beings, right? We make far too many mistakes. Now, you're always on your, always on your best foot when you're at church, but when you're out there working, it's not necessarily true. You can lose your cool and say some things you're not supposed to say. We've all done it. But the Lord's recording all that. So, we need to stop thinking, or start thinking, Lord, I'm on video camera. Everywhere I am. You're recording and your microphone don't never mess up. It records perfect, so I need to be very careful what I say to everybody and anybody. You know, all the time. Now, don't, don't go there. Don't get upset about nothing. Just, and ain't nothing worth fighting about. Oh, is there? No, nothing. So, just live in love. Because the Lord says right here, He is calling heaven and earth heaven and earth to record this day against you that I may set before you life and death blessing and cursing therefore choose life that both not only you but your children may live so if you choose the wrong thing who would ever say well it's my life I can do what I want to it's not going to have any impact on my children but let me tell you that's a lie Everything you do has an impact on your children. In fact, I was in Home Depot. I think it was Home Depot. And there was a man telling me, wherever I was anyway. He said they were fixing to go and adopt, I think, I forget, a three-month-old, anyway, a little child from a foreign country. I, I knew this man, but not very well, but I did know him. I told him, I said, if you're going to adopt a child from a foreign country, you have your work cut out for you. Because that child probably was born out of wedlock. That child is going to be under a curse. And you're going to have to do some serious praying over that child. Some serious praying. And even if you do the serious praying, since the child came into the world... More than likely with a mother and a father that were not married, both of them out of wedlock, and who knows, one of them or both of them might have been on drugs or alcohol. And if you do, all of those characteristics of the devil is going to be passed to that child. And you got your hands full. You need to know that up front. Otherwise, you're not going to understand why when that little boy grows up and he goes to prison, he's meaner than hell itself. You're going to wonder why. You didn't break the curses. Or the little girl goes out and gets pregnant when she's 14. Yet you raised her in a good home and told her those things were wrong. Why is she going to do that? Because she was raised up under a curse. And those demons had a legal right to torment her to cause her to do those things. See, people don't understand these principles about how we open the door to the devil. You know, the devil, when we open the door to a devil, that's just like... I was talking with Howard Pittman here a while back, and he had a, a unique experience with the demonic world. He died in 1979 and went to heaven. He said, but I thought you said you talked to him the other day. I did. But he died in 1979, and he stood before heaven. He had a massive artery sever in his heart, and he died and went to heaven. And when he found out he was going to get no rewards because he had been an independent Baptist preacher, and he didn't believe in none of the power of God... When he found out what was available, he begged God to let him come back 
and preached the Word of God. And the Lord told him he would do that. And Howard Pitt was still alive today. I talked to him just the other day. And he t- he's, he's done some serious teaching on God's Word because God allowed him to see into the spirit world, took him on a one-day tour with a couple of angels of the spirit world before he came back. And he said, you know where the greatest concentrations of demons were? I said, where? He said, in hospitals. He said, the greatest concentration of demons were in hospitals. He said, you know where the second greatest concentration were? I said, no. He said, at gas stations. Oh, yeah. At gas stations. You can't see what he saw. And he said, yeah, I saw something so unique. It said, an angel said, I'm going to show you how a demon gets legal right to a human being. He said, he, he said, I was in a hospital where my own body was laying dead. He said, we walked right into a room and said, of course, they couldn't see us, but we could see them. He said, there was a, a, a pretty nice looking young woman, a nurse. She'd come out to tell this man something. And said, he's kind of made a little joke, and they laughed about it. And then they're sitting there talking. And he said, all of a sudden, out of the floor, become a green frog-looking thing. Said, he wasn't very big. But said, the more they talked, the bigger the frog got. And I said, what is that? And the angel said, that's a demon of lust. And that demon is working on his man, causing him to think about having a sexual relationship with that woman. That's not his wife. And said, he's yielding to it. He's thinking about it. And said, the more he thinks about it, he's giving place, and that's why the demon's growing. He's getting bigger. Now, you got to see this. He said the demon got bigger and bigger and bigger, and it was like a great big green ugly frog. He said he kept getting closer and closer to his face, and all of a sudden the demon went right inside his face and disappeared. He said, what just happened? He said he gave place to the demon of lust, and now it's entered him, and now the demon will control him. Every time he sees a woman... Sometimes it'll be pretty, sometimes it'll be ugly, so it makes no difference. He'll see a woman, and immediately the demon will begin to draw him to lust for that woman. I said, the more he gives place to it, the greater the power of the demon will be until the man will finally become totally controlled by the demon of lust. And when it happens, said then the demon, somewhere along the line, will kill him and take him out prematurely. Awesome what we do. In the, under the Old Covenant, God says, if you have sex with a woman out of wedlock, you're guilty of adultery. But under the New Covenant, He said, you look at a woman to lust at her in your heart, and you're guilty of adultery, didn't He? Now, which one's easier? The Old Covenant would be easier. I mean, they, you can't live in the New Covenant without the Holy Ghost. You can't live there. Just like he said, under the old covenant, you get mad at this man and you go up and stick a knife in his heart, you killed him. You're guilty of murder. But he said you get angry with him in the new covenant. 
you're guilty of murder. How many of you ever have been angry with somebody? You don't have to hold up your hand, you know. (laughs) But I really think if I really asked that question, I think we'd probably have to have 100% of us hold up our hands, would we not? We've all been angry at people, and when we get angry with people, we're guilty of murder. Now then, by the power of the Holy Spirit living in your life under the new covenant, there's only one way you can walk in the new covenant, and that's with the Holy Spirit. And then it's difficult, because the demons of hell will still control you. That's why I learned a lesson a long time ago about not giving place to a demon of lust. As a man, it's almost impossible to do this. But it is possible. But you know how it's possible? I asked the Lord one time, I said, Lord, this this is so difficult to do. How in the world can I live my life with all these beautiful women that you put in this world and never have a bad thought about one of them? How can I do that? And he told me, he said, you never look at her nowhere except right in her eyes. He said, you don't never look at a woman nowhere except in her eyes. He said, that's the windows of her soul. He said, if you look in her eyes, you'll never open a door to that demon of lust. Which means, if a woman walks in and she's like that one was in the airport the other day. She, I, I saw a woman walk in the other day with a skirt that was this long. It was about that far below the center point of her body. Maybe two inches. She had a pillow about this big square in her hand holding it against her stomach. And she sat down in a chair directly across from me. Probably a little 25-year-old, beautiful young woman. I mean, she was very well put together. And she knew she was pretty. But when she sat down, she put the pillow on her lap. If she hadn't had that pillow, there wouldn't have been nothing left. It wouldn't be nothing for your imagination. Everything would have been visible. Ain't no way. She had to, when she sat down, she sat on her panties on that chair, I guarantee you, because there ain't enough skirt back there to sit on the skirt. I looked over at her and I said, young lady, are you a Christian? She wasn't. She was not. She said, why did you ask me that? I said, well, I just wondered if you were a Christian. I wanted to tell you that, you know, you wasn't dressed very nice, but I said, as a non-Christian, I won't say that. But I said, you know, let me ask you a question, young lady, as a non-Christian. Would you like to get raped in this airport today? She said, well, of course not. I said, let me tell you what, young lady, there's something you haven't learned in life then. I said, young boys are turned on by what they see. And I said, I know you don't understand the demonic world, but I said, a young boy could be sitting here looking at you, and he could start fantasizing about you of what he's seeing, and he could open the door to a demonic spirit, and I said, you could walk down that corridor, and he could take you around the corner, and he could rape you in a heartbeat, or he might even rape you and kill you. And it's all happened because of the way you're dressed. 
That woman didn't have a clue. She had never heard those kind of things, ever. I said, if you don't want to get raped and you don't want to get killed, start wearing skirts down about your knees and your chances will be a whole lot better. I said, also, when you put the dress on that you're going to put on, it would be very nice if you put one that comes up above your breast line instead of halfway to your navel. I said, when you look, when you bend over and your breasts are hanging out, I said, some men, even Christian men that don't know the Word of God, can look at you and they can lust. And when they do, they open the door to a demon. And I said, a demon of hell comes inside of them. And then they're going to be controlled by a demon the rest of their life. And they're not going to understand why they're always drawn to another woman beside their own husband, their own wife. I said, because they got a demon of lust. I said, any man, any man that cannot control his thoughts around other women has a demon of lust. If you hold another woman besides your own wife, you've got a demon of lust. That's why in this church I tell people, don't hug each other. Women, you can hug. Men, you can hug. But women and men, don't hug. You never know what you do when you reach over and hug a man. You never know where he's at. I remember one time Cheryl and I went up north and the man that picked us up at the airport, neither one of us had ever seen this man in our life. Never. And he picked us up and when we walked up there, he shook my hand and he went right to Cheryl and he put his arm around her and he headed and he was going to kiss her on the lips. She turned her face and he kissed her on the cheek. We got out car later. She said, honey, that guy was going to kiss me right on the mouth. I said, I know. I saw that. But you acted exactly right. I said, you know what's wrong with that man? He has a demon of lust. I guarantee it. And he did have. And then after I sat and talked to him a few hours, different times, I found out before he married the woman he was married to now, he used to be involved in dating games. He used to go out and Mess around with women, uh, and ain't no telling how many women that man been to bed with in his life. And all that. And one day, I told him, I said, you know, you need to repent of all that. And you really need to get in and produce fruit for the kingdom of God. He said, my wife does all of that. He said, she's really on fire. I just kind of go along for the ride. On the way home, I come back here in this church, and I made a statement. I said, I'm going to guarantee you that man won't live three more weeks. You know how long he lived? Three more days. And he died. The Word of God means what it says. And we want to know why we got so much sickness and disease in the church. God called heaven and earth as a record against you and me to watch over us. And He knows everything you do and everything you say and everything you think. And you can't get around it. He's God. And it brings the demonic spirits upon us and it brings sickness and disease upon us. So let me tell you, if you have a spirit of lust, you need to repent, you need to get rid of that thing, and you need to make sure that you remain faithful to your own wife. Otherwise, it's going to bring torment to you. And let me tell you something else. You know what happens when... Either one, man or woman. They do anything that they're not supposed to do once they get married with another person. 
I think of the I think of the people, both cases, men and women, that will pay more attention to someone else than to do their own wife. I mean, I've known I've seen this happen many times. A man and a woman that are married, they get up in the morning and the husband didn't tell his wife. You two are married, I know, right? You didn't tell her this morning you loved her. Now I'm not I'm just saying that you know, I hope you did. But you didn't tell her you loved her. And you didn't say, Oh honey, I love you, you know, you know, I just you know, you're so beautiful this morning and I want to tell you how much I appreciate you and all those things. You know, and you look her right in the eye, you know. I mean you pay some attention to her. But if you get up in the morning and you don't do that, you didn't say anything nice to her, but yet you go somewhere and you walk into a healing school. And here's another lady and you say, Whoa, doesn't she look pretty this morning? And your wife says, What? You notice she's pretty and I'm your wife and you hadn't said a thing to me. Now you made your wife mad. Now your wife, after you do that about three times, and she looks over and you're, maybe you're looking at her a, a little in the wrong places. And she knows what you're doing. Then all of a sudden, she begins to be, re, build a resentment and get a grudge. And you just open the door for a tormenting spirit to come into both of your lives. And that beast will make you sick. He'll afflict you. This is what's going on in the spirit world around you. And that's why so many people in church are sick or afflicted or tormented. Because of these kind of things. What can you do? You can repent and turn from your wicked ways. Demand those demons to leave you. And then when that demon comes back, if he tries anything to get you to think anything about another man or another woman... You rebuke that thing and drive it away. Say, no, I'm not going there. Thank God that we're on this side of the cross. If we was on that side of the cross, we're in trouble. We know of a case just like that. Give you a perfect example from the Word of God. King David had a house full of beautiful wives. One night he's up on top of the roof looking down and there's a beautiful woman by the name of Bathsheba down there taking a shower. She's married. He's married. And he looks down and he says, whoa, isn't she pretty? I can just hear that devil now say, yeah, isn't she so much prettier than any other wife you've got? Wouldn't you like to have her come to your bedroom? He said, yeah, I believe I would. Well, he goes down and sends one of his servants and go over and get her and tell her to come up here to my bedroom. And she does. And he lays with her that night and she gets pregnant. And then she comes back and tells him, I'm pregnant. He said, well, no problem. I'll call your husband, have him come in. He can sleep with you, and then he'll think this baby belongs to him. So he does it, but he won't go home to his wife. So the next night, David gets him drunk. So he thinks, surely he'll go home to his wife if I get him drunk. But he don't. And since he doesn't, he sends a letter with him back to the field and tells the general, said, put Uriah on the front line before he'll be killed. And he did, and Uriah died. Now then, David's guilty of adultery, and he's guilty of murder. And although David was one of God's men that was after God's own heart, the curse came upon him, didn't it? What happened? God was so angry with David, he said, You have given place to my enemies. See, God made a set of rules. He can't break that, even for King David. He didn't want that baby to die, but there wasn't nothing he could do. That baby died because of David's sin. 
And then the curse came upon him because God had already pronounced the curse. And he called heaven and earth as a record against all of us. It makes no difference if you're King David or if you're Thurman Scribner. It makes no difference. The curse came upon him. And he said, now your wives will be raped in the housetops and in the streets for everybody to see because of your sin. And your children will kill each other and rape each other because your sin. Had quite a consequence to pay for a one-night stand with a pretty woman, wouldn't you say? I would not say it's worth it, would you, Orville? Not under no conditions. But you need to think about these things because that's one of the reasons so many people in the church today are sick and afflicted and tormented and their children are sick and afflicted and are tormented because they've done those stupid things. And you wonder why we're sick. Wonder why our children are sick. You wonder why our grandchildren are sick. I had an evangelist come to me the other day that drove hours. An evangelist. And we sat down and talked for three hours. This man had gross unforgiveness toward some of his own children. Some of his own children had unforgiveness toward him. And as he began to tell me, he said, I said, Sir, you have opened the door wide open to the devil. I said, are all, do you have grandchildren? He said, yes. I said, are all of them healthy? He said, no. He said, one set of the twins have autism. I said, that's exactly what I've expected. I said, those two children, those twins have autism because of your sin of unforgiveness. And as I showed him that in the scripture, he broke down and cried. He said, I have my work cut out for me. I said, my problem is, I don't see how you can be an evangelist for 25 years and read this book and not know these things. I don't see how we miss these things. I don't understand how the devil blinds our mind to these things. But he does. I don't understand it. But, what the Lord called as a record against you? Heaven and earth. And what did he say you're supposed to do? Obey him. Now then... Go from Deuteronomy to Joshua. Chapter 1, and we'll start with verse 8. Chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. But you shall meditate therein day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then you shall make your way prosperous and then shall you have good success. How many people want to be prosperous and successful? Everybody does. What is the requirements? Meditate on the Word of God day and night. Now then, if that will make us prosperous and successful, then let's turn over to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs 4. Now, everybody wants to be prosperous and successful. But Proverbs 4.20, what we're talking about, about health and long life, 
Everybody wants to be prosperous and successful. But nobody wants to be prosperous and successful just for five years. Do we? No. I mean, how many people do you know that became a rock star at 16 and 25? They're dead on drugs. Oh, yeah, had millions. They spit it like water. You reckon it done them any good? They had a ball, didn't they? Lived in sin. Had a ball. A man had a different woman everywhere he went. Two or three of them. Had Rolls Royces. I mean, had everything. I mean, he's living a good life. I mean, somebody said, whoa, look at that guy. He's got it together. But 25 years old, he's died and he's dead. He might have been killed in a car wreck or he overdosed on drugs. Where do you think that man went? He certainly didn't go to heaven, did he? So he had five, six, seven, eight years of prosperity and it appeared to be success. But it was very short-lived. How many young men in the rock business have you known of that have heard about that that's where they lived? You know, I went back and checked some of them's life. And that's what happens to most of them. Most of them die very prematurely. <clears throat> and then I learned a lesson right here, talking about this water one day. Do you know the human being is 75% water, but the brain's 85% water? With this water, since Fred's in the water business, there was some tests done where you could see what happens to water under a microscope, very powerful microscope. You could see the molecular structure of the water. Normal water out of the tap is awful. But this is what will blow you away. You pray the prayer of faith over that water and right under that microscope, the molecular structure of the water changed. Isn't that amazing? Why do you think God told us to pray, even when we eat and drink, do all things in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving? Let your request be made known to God. Who would ever dream it could change the molecular structure of the food or the water? that you're fixing to take into your body. But it does. Then some of the things that was done while that water was, some, take some beautiful purified water that had been prayed over and the, the crystals, the molecular structure was beautiful and clear and perfect. And then played a rock music song just where it could be heard where that water was. And the water became so fragmented that you couldn't tell what it was. You think, wow. And these kids go to a rock concert and their brain is 85% water. And all that foul, nasty music, their brain becomes so fragmented because it's 85% water. They open themselves totally to the demonic spirits of hell. And the demons just run through that place. And those kids throw each other up in the air and kill each other and all kinds of wild, stupid things because the demons of hell are in total control because they have no control because their brains are fragmented under that music of the devil. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. But yet you could take that same water and you could cut off that rock music and play a beautiful hymn and it come right back to where it was. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? We have no idea what words do, do we? The power of words over things. But did Jesus walk up to a fig tree one day and say, 
May you never bear fruit again. And what happened to the fig tree? It died. And did you know he said, not only can you do what I did, but greater things than these that I've done shall you do in my name. Isn't that awesome? But most of us don't believe these things. So we don't pay attention to what we say. So we go around saying, oh my gosh, I am 60 years old. I am so old, I just know I'll have arthritis because my mother died with arthritis. Well, you don't have any symptoms yet. Well, I know, but I just know. Or my daddy had arthritis. His old fingers were all drawn. I just know I'll have it because daddy had it. And then ten years later, they said it a thousand times. And one day they wake up in their finger. said, see there, I told you. Isn't that amazing? Did the Lord say we can have what we say with our mouth? Yes, under the new covenant. When you walk in obedience to His Word, He literally made you a statement that is so powerful. The average Christian does not believe this today. But when He said in Mark eleven twenty three, under the new covenant that we have today, if you have the God kind of faith. Now, this is, this is the thing that has taken me a while to understand. He's talking under the new covenant to children just like he was in the Old Covenant. But in the Old Covenant, he clearly said, if you will be obedient and do everything I tell you to do, if you, Thurman, if you, Jack, if you, Orville, will do everything I tell you to do under my word and walk holy before me. Did he say walk holy before me in the New Covenant? Be ye holy for I am holy? That's what he said. You think he meant that? Yes, did he say, I left you an example to follow that in me there was no sin, so you're not supposed to have no sin? You know, the average church member can't even think like that. It's impossible for me to go through the, I'm just an old wicked sinner. Well, as long as you think if you're an old wicked sinner, don't come to God and ask Him for nothing because He's not going to give it to you. Luke 6.40. Yep. yep. You've got to realize who you are. You're a son or a daughter of God and He expects you to act like children of God. Not children of the world. He expects you to be in His house. He expects you to be serving Him. He expects you to read His Word. Get to know Him. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, how in the world do you get to know Jesus? I said, I get to know Jesus just like I got to know my new wife. I said, a year ago, I only know her because I saw her at a distance. But I said, now I know her a whole lot more intimately because we spent a year together. I said, so I know her much better. I know some things that pleases her and some things that don't please her. So I try to stay away from the things that don't please her. <laughs> some of you all know where I'm coming from, right? And the Lord did say, men live with their wives according to knowledge. Now, if you know that your wife loves a smoothie, and you know you're on the way to church this morning, and you know you're going to be a little late because you've got to stop by Walmart and get you a new watch, but you know she loves smoothies, well then let me tell you, it's worth five minutes of your time to stop by and buy her a smoothie. Because that's going to make her happy. She loves them. You see where I'm coming from? And she said, if you've got to stop by Walmart, we can forego the smoothie. I said, oh no, I want you to have your smoothie because I know she loves those, and I want her to be happy today, Sherry. Because my life goes better when she's happy. <laughs> but see, if you know your wife doesn't like something, if she tells you she don't like something, then what are you supposed to do as a man of God? 
you're supposed to not do those things. You're supposed to pay attention to your wife. What if you don't? God's going to hold you responsible. And it will bring tormenting spirits to your life. I think about this gentleman that was sitting back here, here a while back. Uh, he got up and he said, sir, can I give a testimony? I said, yes, sir. He said, you see that woman sitting right back there? I said, yes, sir. He said, I've been married to that woman 50 years. He said, this last week, me and her had a little serious disagreement. And he said, I got mad at her. She did something I didn't like. So he said, I went to bed mad. And he said, I woke up the next morning, I was still mad. But he said, when I woke up the next morning, I had a serious pain in my back and my leg. He said, I got to thinking about what you said. Jesus bore my pain on the cross. So he said, I don't have to put up with this nonsense. That I rebuked that spirit, commanded that thing to leave. And he said, it got lots worse. Oh, that didn't work. Then he said, I remembered you said I had to repent. So he said, okay, God, I ask you to forgive me for being mad at my wife. And I rebuked it and it got worse. Then he thought, surely I don't have to get right with her first. But he said, I got a feeling that's what God meant when he said, Husbands, love your wives and be willing to give your life for them just like I gave mine for the church. Now, what kind of love is it if you're willing, if God died, Jesus died on the cross to give his life for you and me? And he says, Men, that's the way we're supposed to love our wives. What do you think he expects? That same thing, doesn't he? You know what it is for a man to be willing to die for his wife? That means if you ask you to do something, you do it. You don't fuss about it. You just do it. You know, so Cheryl wants a smoothie this morning. We hadn't had no breakfast or nothing. You know, now I did cook her breakfast at one o'clock this morning. She was working like a little busy bee back there in the ministry center. And I went up there and I scrambled eggs. I fried potatoes. I fixed pancakes. And all that kind of stuff. And then I invited her and Wendy up to eat. And they come up and we had dinner or breakfast at 1 o'clock this morning. You know. And why did I do that for my honey bunny? I know she likes all that stuff. And I love the girl. You know, if she likes it, I mean, all she did was compliment me. Say, oh, honey, this is so nice. You did so good. Well, see, I like that too. That's where we're supposed to live, right, Cheryl? We're supposed to love each other. So... I told her this morning, and in, in the wee hours this morning, you know, she woke up, she was hot. I, I didn't know she just got up and turned the air conditioner down a little bit. I woke up, and I was cold. So I got up and turned the air conditioner up. And so she says, did you just turn the air conditioner up? I said, yeah, I'm cold. She said, well, this is not fair. I'm hot. I said, well, okay, honey, I'm sorry. I apologize. I said, we'll turn it back down, and I'll just cover up a little more. No problem. I said, it ain't worth a, ain't worth a squabble. You know? So we turned the air conditioner down. I said, however cold you want it, I'll just cover up enough to stay warm. But I ain't going there no more. I am not going to have no arguments about nothing. There ain't nothing worth arguing over. Don't understand where I'm coming from? Did the Lord tell us to be willing to give ourselves for our mate? Yes. See? So if your wife likes something or don't like something, if she tells you, in fact, you men, to make sure that your marriages are last. And your, your life is long and healthy on the earth. Let me ask you this question. How many of you, first of all, whether you're married or not married, would like to have a long, healthy life on the earth? 
A long, is it only a few of you want a long, healthy life? What are you, I mean, some of y'all not holding up your hand. God's watching today. You know, God's watching. You know, if you want a long, healthy life, you're going to have to do it His way. Because He's the boss. Here's what you need to do. To make sure that you have a long, healthy life, ask your mate, one of you, ask your mate, Honey, is there anything that I could do for you that would make your life more wonderful? And then be ready for the statement. And if they say something, don't retaliate and say, You mean that little thing bugs you? No. Change. And then after they've made the statement, then you turn the other one and say, Is there anything I can do that would make your life better? And then be willing to change. You might be amazed what would happen in your home. And I'm going to tell you, just like that man that sat back there because he went to bed angry with his wife and woke up angry, he had a tormenting spirit in his back and his leg. And it was an excruciating pain. And he said, I could not get rid of it until I repented to God for my sin of anger. And I could not get rid of it until I repented to my wife. He said, then I commanded the spirit to leave. And it instantly left. Just like the little lady that was sitting right here the other night at a Bible study. She came in, and she came in with her neck all drawn over like this. I said, something wrong with you? She said, yes, I have got a crick in my neck. I've had it for two weeks. And she said, this is awful. I said, okay, after Bible study tonight, we will pray for you. Now then... Before we go to that story, I want you to read with me Proverbs 4.20. My son, attend to my words. Attend to my words. Incline your ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life. They are life to those that find them. And health to all their flesh. Now we've talked about being prosperous and successful. Everybody wants to be there. It requires meditating on the Word of God. And health and long life requires attending to the Word of God. So if you're sick and afflicted and you're not prosperous and successful, guess where your answer is at? In the Word of God. In the Word of God. You have not been obedient to do what the Word says. Now, anybody that does what this book says, that meditates on this Word day and night, and attends to these words to obey them to do what they say, you're going to be prosperous and successful, and you're going to have health and a long life, and you can walk in divine health, prosperous and successful. So, if that's true, and we know it is because it's written in God's Word, then why is it so many Christian fathers never read and teach the Word of God to their children at home? What's wrong with us? Are we just a little bit on the stupid side? I mean, the Word, the King is the one who said this, right, brother? Every man, every man, if you're a grandfather, you ought to be teaching your little grandchildren about Jesus. You know, you ought to be teaching them. If you're a father and got children at home and you don't read the Word of God to your children every night, you need to start taking the time to do it. Meditate on the Word. Talk to your children about Jesus. 
Cheryl said she used to read two, an hour to two hours every night when she got home. But she said, I don't do that anymore. But she said, Thurman and I are in a Bible study 24-7. That's what we do. We listen to the Word, read it, study it, prepare all the time. Just like last night, I went over to prepare for today's stuff. I went over, I don't even know what time it was last night, but I worked till, I don't know, 12 o'clock, somewhere in that neighborhood. And after I got all of my outlines printed out, all the stuff that I thought I might need today for the healing school, I went over and she said, are you already done? I said, oh yeah, I've got it ready for tomorrow, no problem. She said, well, I'm not ready. I've still got a few things I need to do. I said, okay, no problem. Just keep working. So she's working. And I thought, well, I'll go up and I'll fix the girl something to eat. So I started peeling potatoes, you know, cooking pancakes, cooking eggs and all that stuff. In a little while, they smell that back there and they come running up. And she said, what are you doing? I said, I thought I'd fix y'all something to eat. She said, ooh, I love fried potatoes. Well, I know she loves fried potatoes. That's why I was frying them. If she had hated fried potatoes, I wouldn't have been cooking them. I want to live with my honey bunny according to knowledge. I want to make her happy. Because when she's happy, I'm happy. (laughs) So make her happy, guys. Do what your mate requires and you'll have a whole lot less sickness and disease in your home. Now then, when we go to this little girl that had the neck problem, I want you to go to Philippians chapter 4 or Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, I'm going to show you some of the things that we just never seem to put together about sickness and disease. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 14. Philippians 2.14. I want you to think about this. Philippians 2.14, he says, You must do a few things without murmuring and complaining. Oh, wait a minute now. Now, somebody must be reading along in your Bible, and I must have read that wrong the way all them... What did it say, Orville? Do how many things? All things. Oh, okay. Do all things without murmuring and complaining. Then let me ask you this question. How come we murmur and complain so much? Did God say not to murmur and complain? Do all things without murmuring and complaining? Do all things without murmuring and complaining and disputing? Now, that, that, that surely that couldn't open the door to a devil. Could it? Is that one of his commands under the new covenant? Do all things without grumbling or complaining? Let's turn back to 1 Corinthians 10. Let's see what happens there. You, find, you begin to find out what makes people sick. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1 says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and they did all eat the same spiritual meat or food, and they did all drink the same spiritual drink for the drink of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He's never changed. But with many of them, 
God was not well pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, if God's not well pleased with you, will he overthrow you in the wilderness? I mean, he's never changed, right? He's the same God. So, you think it would be nice to... In fact, I use this little statement. Don't tick off the king. You all know what I mean? When somebody says, that man ticked me off. Woo! Don't tick off the king. I'm going to tell you, I read an example in the Word of God one time where Jesus walked into the temple and what he saw, they ticked him off. And he picked up some ropes and made him a cords of rope and he goes around and he's thrashing them. What happened when the king gets ticked off, brother? He can get a little bit rough, can't he? And he turned over the tables and he turned loose the animals and he was not happy with them, was he? Not a bit. So now then, if he's that loving God, but he can be ticked off. So when you tick him off, let's look what happened here. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Well, let's see, read a little more. Now, these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust or make him mad after evil things, as they also lusted. They lusted after things. You think God likes it when you lust after things? Obviously not. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. I mean, when those people in the wilderness rose up to play, you remember the scene when Moses was going down from the hill when God says, Moses, there is a party in the camp. And Moses walked up on top of the hill and he looked out across millions of people. And they're, they're out there in the wide open and they are having a drunken orgy. Do you think God likes sex outside of wedlock? I don't think so. Because let's see what happened whenever he saw this. It says, They rose unto, Neither let us commit fornication as son of them committed, and fell in one day 23,000 people. And the only reason God didn't wipe them all out because Moses started praying. You think God likes sex out of wedlock? You think God likes sex with a man and woman married in bed together that are married? Sure, he made it. He said, I'll bless the marriage bed. I'm the one that made sex. He said, you're to have sex and enjoy it with your mate, but nobody else under no conditions. If you're not married to that man, you're not married to that woman, he said, you just think about having sex with him and I'll curse you with a curse. You think he meant that, Sherry? You know he meant that, don't you, girl? Well, what should that make us guys and gals a little bit more aware of when we look at somebody? Let's look them right in the eyeballs. Let's not look at them nowhere else. You look at them somewhere else. You're going to light the fire of your mate if you start looking at it. If a woman, if a woman starts looking at another man, you walk in with your wife and she's saying, Wow, look at that guy. Isn't he nice? What does that do to you? That offends you. Who is supposed to be the best looking man in the place? Your husband. I don't care what he looks like. He's supposed to be the best looking man there to you. 
He's your husband. That's the way you should see him. If you don't, you're going to open the door to those demonic spirits and you're going to cause all kinds of problems. Now look at what happened here. These people, they rose up, rose up to play with fornication and what happened to them? They got killed. And how many of them died at one time? You know how many people 23,000 people are? You think God likes sex out of wedlock? You want to know why people are sick in the church today? Because they have the wrong kind of thoughts. You know, I've seen men on their deathbed that had that evil eye that looked at other women. I've seen them tormented and on their deathbed. And when I find out what the problem was, it was that evil eye that they had to look for all these other women. And now here they are tormented and on their deathbed. And they can't get healed. Everybody in the world has come in and prayed for them, laid hands on them, cast devils out of them. And nothing you can do can get that person healed until you find the sin. When you find the sin and the guy repents, say, God, I promise I'll never do that again. I've seen him instantly healed just like that. Isn't, isn't God merciful? He's gracious. But if you don't know and don't find the sin, people come up and say, would you pray for me? Well, first of all, you've got a sin in your life. No, 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 no. Sickness is not associated with sin. Let me tell you, I don't care what anybody tells you. The way I read this book, there ain't no sickness outside of sin. No sickness outside of sin. Something in your life, somewhere you've done, that's opened a door to a demon of hell through your sin. Without, sick, without sin, there is no sickness and disease. I am totally, completely convinced of that. The longer I teach a healing school, the more convinced of that I am. But look, when they rose up to play and they committed fornication, 23,000 of them died. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted him and were destroyed of the serpents. Don't tempt him. Don't put him to the test. Now, there is only one place in the entire Word of God that the Lord himself said, you can put me to the test. And you know where that is? Finances in Malachi 3. The only place God says, you can try me or put me to the test. He said, you begin to tithe and give me the first tenth of all of your increase, you test me. You try me. You see. If I won't open the windows of heaven and pour it a blessing, you will not be able to contain. And I'm telling you, 75 to 90% of the church don't believe that either. I have been in Baptist churches all of my life. I've been on counting committees. I've served as a deacon, an usher, and everything, and I'm going to tell you, I've never been in a Baptist church that over 15 to 25% of the congregation were tithers. Never. You know what would happen if everybody in church would begin to do what this book says today? This, this church, we would have no sick people in the church. We'd have no adulterers in the church. We'd have no broken marriages in the church. We'd have nothing but blessed. Everything. We'd have no sick children. No children born with uh, terminal diseases. None of these things would happen. Because God said, if you'll be obedient and do everything I tell you under the law, I will bless not only you, but your seed. And so it's even better and greater under the new covenant. That's like a, a lady wrote me a letter the other day. She said, I'm telling you, I, I can't stand your teaching. She said, you have ruined the lives of two people in our church. 
She said, there's a lady in our church that gave up a good secular job to come to work at the church for minimum wage. And now then, she's heard some of your teaching, and she wants to die. Said she had a five-year-old son that died, and when she heard your teaching that she was living under the curse, and because of her wild, violent sex life and everything else she lived, and a boy born out of wedlock, she says now she knows that the boy died because of her sin, and she wants to die too. Said, you must stop teaching this stuff. You're ruining the lives of people. Let me tell you, if she had learned it up front, Sharon, she wouldn't have done those stupid things and she wouldn't have cost that boy's life. He'd still be alive and well today. Somebody's got to tell us what God says because He holds us accountable. And look what He said next. After tipping, neither murmur ye. Or, murmur is the same word we read over in Philippians, wasn't it? Yeah. Don't murmur or complain. Is that what he said, sister? That's right. Uh-oh. Neither murmur or complain ye, as some of them also murmured and were sent, and they were destroyed of the destroyer. Who do you think that's talking about? The devil and his demons. That's right, brother. So when we murmur and complain, God sends the destroyer or the demons of hell to torment us. That night that that little lady was sitting right there, well, that lady sitting in the blue, right there, I taught on this very thing. And she was sitting there with her neck all drawn over. She started to oh, my lands three weeks ago. Things started going wrong at work. Now, I know none of y'all ever worked anywhere where nothing ever went wrong. But she started grumbling about it. And she grumbled, and the more she grumbled, the more went wrong. And after a week of grumbling... God says, okay, you're my daughter, but I told you not to grumble about nothing. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. He said, since you're not obedient to the Word, I will send a tormenting spirit to you. And he comes and puts a prick on her neck. And now she grumbles about that. And it gets worse. And it gets worse. How many of you know it's real easy to grumble when everything's going bad at work? And now you wake up and your neck's all drawn over. It's pretty easy, isn't it? God, where are you? What is the deal? I mean, don't you see what's going on? He said, yeah, I see what's going on, but I told you not to grumble and complain. And you're not obeying my commands. And so she's grumbling and complaining. So two weeks, she grumbles and complains, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And she walks in at night like this. And she's sitting right there. And when I teach on that, she says, oh, my lands, Lord, that's my problem. I repent, Lord. I will never grumble again. And guess what happened? Bam, instantly healed, sitting right there in her chair. I asked her the other day. She's such a precious lady. She comes here all the time. I said, uh, have you backslid and grumbled anymore? She said, Mr. Schrimmer, never, 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 never will I ever grumble again. Now, see, it's just like Sharon sitting there. After Sharon got healed, every once in a while I used to kid her. I said, Sharon, you backslid? You sinned anymore so you can get your back pain back? She says, never. I suffered with that back pain for 30 years. I ain't backsliding no more. Is that what you said, Sharon? Never, you can walk in love too. You paid your price, didn't you, girl? 30 years she suffered with a pain in her back. And who knows how many times she went to doctors and she told us, but man, it's numerous. There's no telling how much time she spent, all that. And it all happened because of sin. Once she repented of the sin, of course, she made a statement to us when she came up here for healing uh, January a year ago. She said, Thurman, 
I want to tell you that I've been prayed for by at least a hundred people and nothing's ever happened. I said, well, Sharon, you've never repented of your sin. You've got to remember what you were doing 30 years ago and repent of the sin. And so she did. She repented of the sin. And then I said, then God says in Jeremiah 1.12, I watch over my word to perform my word. So I said, we have to come to him on behalf of one of his promises. So I said, we'll take one of his promises. And that's why I always ask everybody, what scripture are you going to base your healing on? Because see, you need something to come against the devil with. And we had to have something, didn't we, Sharon? So we took a scripture. And then I said, nobody has ever prayed for you in faith. I said, so I'm going to rebuke this devil and he's going to leave you and Jesus is going to heal you because he promised it. And I did. And she was instantly healed of a 30-year back problem. And let me tell you, the last year and a half, she says, it's been a whole lot better than the previous 30. Now, that precious little gal had to suffer for 30 years because of sin. But now then, when you ask her, are you going to backslide? Oh, and there ain't no, no, no backsliding for me. I ain't going there. Just like the other little lady said, no, I ain't getting out of this love relation. I ain't grumbling and complaining no more. If you realize that when you grumble and complain, you're going to open the door to a demon to come in to put pain and suffering upon you, how many of us would stop grumbling? Well, I hope we would. Sometimes I wonder about me or, well, I've taught this and know it, and then once in a while I catch myself grumbling. Then all of a sudden I think, what am I doing? Lord, forgive me. Maybe I get to it before something comes up on me. But, I mean, we're dumb, you know. We are very dense. I mean, Jesus told us all these things, and he told us what to do and not to do. And we don't listen well, do we? I hope you listen better than I do. But I still make mistakes. But I'm trying. This morning, Cheryl and I come by, and I stopped and bought her that smoothie. I said, honey, I am going to do my best to walk in love. I said, it may kill me. No, no, no. I wondered if anybody was going to pick up on that. <laughs> oh, y'all are too well trained. Absolutely. No. I said, we're going to do the best we can. The little things of the world, they're not, they're not worth nothing. You know, we're, going to, we're not going to take nothing with us when we leave here. If the rapture occurred right now, you know what we're going to take out with us? Nothing. Everything we have is going to still be here. The minister center will be here. All the tapes will be here. The cameras will be here. And unfortunately, maybe some of y'all might still be here. I hope not. I hope not. This little lady up here, she said, I ain't going to be here. If the rapture comes, I'm out of here on the first load. And we're going to walk holy in obedience to the Word of God. So we're not, we're going to go there. Now it says, after he says, uh, he would send the destroyer to destroy you if you murmur and complain. I wonder how many of you in the church, how many of you really believe God would send a devil to you as his son or daughter when you're grumbling and complaining? Do you really believe he would? He says he will, doesn't he? So, the moral to the story is no grumbling and complaining, right? No grumbling and complaining. He says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as common to men... 
But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it or endure it. Now, let me tell you something right here. That scripture goes a whole lot deeper than you see on the surface. Let me explain what I'm trying to say. And as soon as I explain this, then we'll take a little break. But did God promise in His Word under the New Covenant to, that He had already bore your sickness and removed your disease? Yes, He did. So if He's already bore our sickness and removed our disease, He's not going to heal us. He's already healed us. So where is Christ today? In us. This, Colossians 1.27 This is the mystery before the foundations of the world. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, if Christ is the healer, where is the healer? He's in you. You don't have to worry about Him. He's already in there. Now then, He says, if you walk holy before Me, the blood of Jesus will continuously cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and it will heal you. So, this is where we want to walk, because when you walk there, in faith, you don't never, ever have to have nobody to pray for you for healing. Because you won't never be sick. But you've got to learn to think like that. See, God says in His Word, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So if you think you have to be sick every once in a while, guess what? You're going to be sick every once in a while. The devil is going to oblige you. No problem. He loves to oblige you with sickness and disease and sin. If you think you have to sin a little every once in a while, guess what the devil is going to do? He's going to oblige you. So you're going to go through life sinning and being sick, and you're going to live a defeated life. But when you start thinking like God, and you say, nothing is impossible with me because I'm a son or daughter of the king. Now, I'm going to walk in obedience to your word, and I don't never have to be sick again, and I don't never have to be tormented by the devils again, because, Lord, you gave me all power and all authority over the devils. You said in your word that if your words in John fifteen seven you'll find out there is a requirement if my word if have you ever noticed how big that word is if how many times did he use that if my words abide in you and you abide in me then you can ask me anything you want to and I'll do it for you that's a pretty awesome statement isn't it brothers I mean, now for some of you women, y'all got some pretty good thinkers on earth. But when you start thinking like God, when you start think, when you women learn to think like God, what can you girls get from the king? All oh, things. That's right. As long as you're an obedient daughter. I mean, I think about my little daughter when she was a little bitty girl. She run up and jump up in daddy's lap and make no t- difference how tired or whatever I was. She run up and jump up my lap, put that little arm around me, kiss me on the cheek, say, Daddy, I love you. <laughs> yes, honey, what would you like? <laughs> well, she wants this or that. And, of course, when she got to be a little bit bigger girl, you know, 16, come run up and jumped up my lap one day and put her arm around me and said, Daddy. <laughs> I said, yes, honey. She said, Daddy, I want a car. <laughs> so guess what Daddy did for her? Bought her a car. Absolutely. Yeah. So, if you girls can jump, run up and jump in daddy's lap like that, and you know you're obedient, 
and you're walking holy before. He said, you come and ask me anything and I'll do it for you. That's a wonderful thing to know. you got a daddy that can do anything, right, Sharon? And you can, you can go up in his lap and tell him what you want. In fact, Sharon, i got to tell you this story on her right quick. I don't know if the lady's here today. I hope it don't make any difference. But she said some friend or somebody that she knew here a while back, a lady came by and was all upset because her husband had not been very good to her. And Sharon said, well, you don't have to put up with that nonsense. Now, see, the average Christian, what would you think that she meant right there? Well, just divorce him. Get rid of him. You don't have to put up with him. See, that's not what she meant at all. She knew she had access to her daddy in the throne of grace. So she took her friend to the throne of grace, and they began to rebuke the devil and command him to get his hands off of that woman's husband. And I mean, when she got home, she called, but just the next day or something, what did she? Well, that afternoon, she called back and said, Wow, I got a new husband. (laughs) See, now here's a girl that's learned what she can do when she jumps up in daddy's lap, just like Hebrews 4.16 says. He did say you could come boldly into his throne and ask him in times of need for mercy. Anything. When you run up and jump up in daddy's lap and you're walking obedient. Yes, sir. Yeah, she was walking in total submission, too. Okay. But see, but, over her. Well, but the thing about it is, regardless of where she's at, she didn't know who the enemy was, but you did. When she came by your house and you knew who the enemy was and you took her to the throne of grace, you, with your face, kicked them devils out of her husband and made a totally different man out of that man. And it's still, oh, isn't that awesome? See, now you see what you can do to, you see what daddy is willing to do, but see, you've got to start thinking like God, Sharon, for that to happen. Most people have no idea. Timmy said, well, he's got a will of his own. I can't change him. Oh, yes, you can. You can change it because you're going to go through the king. I know. My honey bunny does that to me all the time. You know, every time I do something, she never tells me nothing. She just said, okay, Dad, your son, he's messing up. He's not treating me like he's supposed to. And she takes me to the throne of grace and said, now, Dad, you do something with him. And he does. He does. See, you girls got to learn. In fact, she told me many times, I've took you to the throne of grace many times. I said, I knew I shouldn't have told you how to do those kinds of things. <laughs> no, seriously. We want to do things to honor our mates. We want to do things that serve God. So, you've got to know what you can do from the throne of grace and how you can change people's lives. Because as obedient children of God, we can go to the throne of grace and we can get anything under the new covenant. As long as we're walking obedience to the word. Once we repent of our sins, come to God and ask him to do these wonderful things. He will do these wonderful things for us. Now then, when we go, we went to the Old Testament and showed us some of these things about what causes these things. But in the New Testament, I want to show you in Romans 6.16, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Let not sin therefore reign in your bodies. Now, you're going to find that as Christians, we have a choice. And this is what he's trying to tell us. Just like the men and women under the Old Covenant, they had a choice. He told them which one to take. But here now, he's telling us, let not sin, therefore reign in your mortal body. 
that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Now then, how many people do you know that wants to become a born-again child of God, they still yield their instruments or the pieces of their body to sin? I mean, we do that regularly. I mean, we just don't realize how many times we sin. And, of course, the thing about it is, some people think that, that have come to my church, I've heard several people tell me, that I must be hung up on sex because I sure do talk about it a lot. Well, the reason I talk about it a lot is because God talks about it a lot. And it seems to be the biggest problem in the church today. I mean, people just, they don't realize that everywhere you go, everything you see, everything you look at is sexually orientated. You can't even now then, you can look at a Sears catalog and there's more pornography in the Sears catalog than there used to be in the Playboy magazine. You know, so people have become cold to sin. They don't know what sin is. So it's difficult it's difficult to not sin when you don't know what sin is. So, your instruments. I mean, you think about people that will yield their hand to sin whenever... I mean, you, you think about a, a woman standing there talking on the telephone. Maybe she's a pretty woman. Or maybe she's just a normal woman. But maybe she's in a hotel lobby or wherever or out at a payphone. And some guy walks by and he drags his hand across her breast. You know, or maybe reaching on peaches or on the bottom. People do those kind of things. All the time. You're yielding your instruments unto sin. Some people never think about that. But that's what you're doing. Now, a Christian man or a Christian woman, should they ever yield their instruments to sin? No. Never. Never. You should be clean and pure and holy in everything you do. I mean, people do some crazy things, but the Lord says that you should yield yourself to righteousness. And then he first, when he says, uh, when, in verse 13, Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive Unto God as those that uh, are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. Then he says, Know ye not, in verse 16, or verse 15, What then, since he says we're not under the law, but under grace, what then shall we sin? Because we're not under the law, but under grace? What is his answer? God forbid! How much sin should there be in the church? Zero. So why don't we get over this nonsense? We're just unworthy sinners saved by grace. I used to be an unworthy sinner. I was saved by grace. But now I'm a son of God. I'm no longer an unworthy sinner. 
I am now the righteousness of God in Christ. I am a child of the king of the universe. And he expects me to act like that. He does not expect me to leave here this afternoon and drive down the road and say, That's okay, honey. Cheryl, you can go home. I'm going to stop by the bar and have a few drinks and watch a few naked women dance for a little while down here at the club. Would you think that would be yielding my instruments to sin? Absolutely. God doesn't expect that from one of His sons, does He? No. Now then, how would He? How, how might He use me in a place like that? Let me tell you how He used two or three busloads of young people in Atlanta the other day. There was a couple of clubs came into a, the area and started up within a few blocks of a big, beautiful church. And whenever the youth leaders found out about it and what was going on, this two great big clubs started. They had beer and wine and, and naked dancers and all kinds of stuff. They went to the city and the city told them that they had legal right in that area to have those. And there was nothing they could do about it. They had legal right to be there, so you can't stop them. Now then, if those kind of things are run by the devil, how much authority do we as Christians have over the devil? All authority, because it's written in God's Word. The devil is totally defeated if we're a church and we're walking holy before God and we've not opened no doors to the devil, then we have been given all power and authority over him. So these youth leaders told this all the youth that had a pretty big youth department. It was a pretty big church. They got two or three bus loads of them, big buses. They said, we're going to go down to that, those clubs tonight. And us leaders, we're going to walk into that place and we're going to start professing and confessing the name of Jesus. We're going to walk in that place and we want y'all to come around the outside and put your hands on the building and begin to rebuke the devil and command him to leave our neighborhood. That took a church that knew what they were doing. Those youth leaders, they walked up to the front door of that place. And when they did, they hit this little beeper deal that set off the code in the, each one of the buses. And all the children, 16, 14, 15, 18 years old, come running out of those buses, come running up against those buildings and lay their hand on it and begin to rebuke the devil. And the youth leaders walked inside and began to scream in the name of Jesus we're taking authority over this place and we're shutting this place down in Jesus' name. And that night, both of those facilities closed in Atlanta, Georgia. Both of them. I heard that pastor of that church give that testimony the other day on television. He said, we went in with the power and authority that God's given us over the devil. And our youth leaders literally closed down two places of terror in this town. We're not going to let the devil move into our community. Now, see, that's what we can do if we believe God. Well, the thing about it is, all things are possible if we believe God. Now then, the devil is the one that brings sickness and disease upon us. And Paul tells us here in verse 15, What then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace. God forbid. Then look at this statement he makes in verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin, which leads unto death, 
or of obedience, which leads unto righteousness. Now, every one of us in the church has the privilege to take whichever path we want to take. If you take a pathway to sin as a Christian, it will bring sickness and disease upon you and death prematurely to your flesh. Or, if you take the right path, the one that leads to righteousness, and you do what it says, God will keep you young, He will keep you vibrant, and you can live to be 80, 90, or 100 years old and still be a vibrant, wonderful Christian man or woman that's serving God. But if you don't, if you begin to yield your members as unrighteousness, like, for instance, a woman the other day had to deal with. This woman and the man that she had been married to were only in their late 40s. She had cancer in a bad way. They had done everything wrong a lot of their life. I'm going to tell you, when that woman and that man came to the ministry center, I would have thought that woman, instead of being about 50, I would have thought she was 75, at least maybe older. When you live a bad life of sin, it brings all kinds of wrinkles. It brings all kinds of death and destruction. In fact, look at it like this. When you start sinning, you open the door to a demonic spirit that comes in that starts a death process in your body. Now, it depends on the sin that you've yielded your members to as to how long it's going to take to kill you. A lot of people have no idea that sin brings forth death. But that's what it says in the Word. So they have no problem of sinning. They have no problem of doing things they're not supposed to do, yielding their members as instruments unto sin, and not realizing what they're doing, shortening their life. Grumbling and complaining shortens your life. But you get over it, thank God. Yielding your instruments, your hands, your legs, your body, any other organ or whatever you have, when you use those organs or instruments as instruments of unrighteousness, it will bring sickness and disease. Just like the AIDS virus. You know, people, they've, they've spent no telling how many billions of dollars trying to find a cure for AIDS. I got it and it's free. I can guarantee you I can stop AIDS overnight in the world. All people's got to do is repent and become a righteous holy instrument before God and there'll never be another AIDS victim in the world. That's just like venereal disease. I can stop it overnight. You ever stop to think about a man and a woman gets married and are married 10 years? And who knows how many times they want to have sex. They can have it as often as they want to because they're married. Never will a venereal disease come to that family. It's not how many times they have sex that brings it on. But yet, you make a man, get a man out there or a woman out there and maybe they have sex once or twice a week with somebody outside of wedlock and they might only live. They might only go. Some of them, one time, will catch a venereal disease and die. I know a precious young woman that was a virgin that went to college and went with a boy that was a quarterback on the football team and finally she yielded to him and had sex with him one time and he had AIDS and in one year she was dead. One time. One time. 
But a man and a woman that are married, you'll never see any kind of an arrow disease between a man and a woman that's married. Unless one of them goes out and messes with somebody else. As long as they stay pure to each other. So what makes this happen then? I'm going to tell you, it's demons of hell that come upon you. That when a man goes out, in fact, a woman and a man may be married and a woman and a man may be married. And none of them have any kind of sexually transmitted diseases. And all of a sudden, this woman goes to sleep with that man and both of them come down with some kind of a venereal disease. How did that happen? It was a demon of hell. They broke God's law. He sent a tormenting spirit. And now then, that thing comes to their... They yielded their instruments of their body to unrighteousness and it brought sickness and disease. Now then, when you yield yourselves to sin, whenever you repent of your sin... Sometimes God will do a miracle healing for you. And that's what everybody wants. But He does far less of them for me than He does healings. Now when He does a miracle healing, it's wonderful. And we all love that. But He promises to heal you every time. As we will see this afternoon as we go on into this. So when you have your sins all repented of, and let's say you've been sinning... now. I keep going back to Sharon here because God was really, really gracious to Sharon because she had sinned a little way back down her 30 years ago. And then she'd been walking holy and obedient to His Word. She wasn't living in any kind of sin, but she didn't know how to get healed. So she suffered with that devil for 30 years. God wanted to heal her, but she never came to Him according to the Word. So when she finally came to Him according to the Word, He said, I've been waiting for you to learn this all these years. You've been walking in obedience to my word. You're not out there doing things that are wrong. You're going to church, but now you finally hit it. And when we prayed the prayer of faith for her, he just instantly healed her. But sometimes that's not the case with people. They've been sinning almost right up to the point of the healing school. And some of them come and get prayed for and then go back out there and sin again. Now, he's merciful when he keeps healing you like that. Don't put him to those kind of tests. If we hit your sin and you find out what it is and you get healed, for God's sake, don't go back out and do it again. I have seen people do that and He brings a sickness upon you and you don't never get healed that time. So don't put God to the test. Walk holy before Him and when you repent of your sin, He's made all kinds of promises which we're going to cover this afternoon in the New Testament about how to get healed under the New Covenant. God has provided under the new covenant everything every one of His children ever need to walk in divine health. It's all already there. You don't have to pray for it. He's given it to you. But a lack of knowledge keeps us down. Now then, I did not know that when I was a child, when I accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, what was involved in the word sozo. But when I read this magnificent promise... In fact, before I go to Romans, let me read in Matthew chapter 8. First of all, in Matthew 8, I want you to see what the Lord said in Matthew eight thirteen. Then I want you to think about this. I want you to think about what he's saying. Now, the centurion had just come to him, and he had a boy that had cerebral palsy. And he came, 
and said, I have a servant that's sick. Jesus said, I will go and heal him. And the centurion says, I am not worthy for you to come to my house. But I am a man under authority on the earth. I speak words and men do what I tell them to do. So I know when you speak, and he's saying in the spirit world, the spirits are going to obey. So you just say the word and I know my servant will be healed. And look what Jesus said. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so shall it be done unto thee. As you have believed, so shall it be done. Isn't that amazing that under the new covenant, as we believe, how we believe is going to call the king on the scene to perform healing or whatever for us. As we believe. Do you believe Jesus can heal you? Yes or no? Do you believe he can heal you with the help of a doctor? Or do you believe that Jesus can heal if you have radiation or chemo? Or do you believe he can just do it by himself? He says, as you have believed, so shall it be done unto you. Now let me tell you, when you get a hold of this, when most people today have what I call sense, knowledge, faith. They have a few scriptures in their head. Now then, most Christians I know today would absolutely stand amazed if I were to say, why don't you come up here on this platform and just quote me your favorite 25 verses. That's all I want you to quote, just 25. There'd be very few people in the church come up. Very few. I did that once and asked them if they could quote as many as five. And that day in church, I had three women. Three, no men, but three women. One of them quoted, come up and quote, quoted 16 verses. And her, her favorite verse, her favorite chapter was Psalms 91. And she quoted all of Psalms 91 as 16 verses. Now that woman could have quoted many more. I know her very well. She knows the Word of God. But one of the other women quoted five verses, and another one quoted five. Did neither one of them make 100%. They made some errors. Whenever they quoted them, one of them was something. When she said it, I said, no, that's not exactly right. It's like this. She said, I knew if I come up here and made a mistake, he was going to correct me. <laughs> but see, hiding the Word in your heart is where it's all at. That's where you have to hide the Word. That's why we don't know... What, who we are and what we can do because we've never not realized that the king says under the new covenant as we have believed and in fact lots of people have faith in cancer they believe cancer will kill you but instead of having faith in the word of God they got faith in the devil so you have faith in fear or faith in cancer faith in the devil you believe cancer will kill you when you get to a point where you know that Jesus has already overcome the devil and he's totally destroyed it makes no matter what the devil puts upon you at that time you never stand intimidated never at the devil and you rebuke it drive it away and you know you know that you know that you know that the devil can't put this on you no more not under the new covenant but in verse 16 we read verse 13 Look at verse 16, or actually let's just read verse 14 and 15 too. When Jesus was coming to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother 
he laid and sick of a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. What did he have to do to her? Did he pray for her? He touched her. And with the power he had in him of the Holy Spirit, when he touched her, guess what left her? The demon. The fever. It's a demon. He left. And it left. Then in verse 16 it says, And when the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed or demonized with demons, and he cast out the spirits of the demons with his word and healed all that were sick. How many did he heal? All that were sick. He's still in that business. You know, one time in this church, I've had everybody healed one day. One time. And that day I walked in here to preach the word. And I started to step up here and the Lord says, Son, and I must have had 125 people here that day. There was a lot of people. The Lord says, Son, many of my people are suffering with pain. I want to heal those that only have pain. He said, invite those that are under pain to come up here right now and I'm going to heal them. I stepped here and said, I've never seen this. I've never done this before in my life. But the Lord just said, if you have pain, I said, now don't come if you don't have pain. But if you have pain in your body, and I expected two or three people to get up and come up here. But there's about 20 or 25 of them got up. And we started at 2.30. We started, we had worship for about 30 minutes until about 2.30. And about 2.30, I stepped up here and that's the first thing the Lord told me to do. So the people come and begin to gather over there. And they come back here and I stood them up here and I said, now Lord, I, really, I told everybody, I said, I really don't know what to do. I've never done this before. So what I'm going to do, I just want you to stand there. And I'm going to lay in the arms of Jesus. And I just, I'm going to expect Him to heal each one of you. I said, if you've got any kind of sin in your body, any kind of sin that you know, I want you to rebuke the sin or confess the sin and then rebuke the spirits with me. And we're going to let you stand here and Jesus is going to heal you. Your pain's going to go away. And it took us over two hours for that group of people to get through. And every person that was there that day was healed. Everyone went home healed. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus is the healer. He loved, but you've got to let Him be in charge. You've got to let Him be in charge of the church. Now, see, if I'm trying to run a thing, I could have said, but Lord, I had this wonderful message. I prepared all these hours for a wonderful message this afternoon. And Lord, I'm not going to get to preach my message. He said, you want to run the church, son, or you want me to run it? I said, Lord, I'd a whole lot rather let you do it because things happen when you run it. When I do it, don't nothing happen. But when you do it, wonderful things happen. And so many people, 20 or 25 of them that day, were miraculously healed because we did what God says. Now, I've never done that before. Never done it since. But he did it that day. So anyway, when he says here that he healed all the sick, and said, verse 17, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, if Jesus, when He said it was written by Isaiah the prophet, that's written in Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5. So, the prophet Isaiah, over 700 years before Christ came to the earth, spoke by the Holy Spirit, to tell us that Jesus was going to come 
and that He was going to come and give us a new covenant and that He was going to bear our sicknesses and remove our diseases into His own body so we, the church, would walk holy before Him, we would not have to have any sickness and any disease. He bore it for us. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself, Jesus, took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, wait a minute. If Jesus took my infirmities and bare my sicknesses, then I don't know about you, but I'm not going to let that devil put it on me. There's no use in me and Jesus both being sick. Is that right? Yes, sir. If my king and your king, he on that cross 2,000 years ago, and with a beating he took, bear our infirmities and bear our sicknesses and remove them, he didn't plan for you and me to be sick. He planned for his church, his body, to be well. He didn't want his body sick, so he paid the price for it so we don't have to be sick 2,000 years ago. And then lo and behold, what happens? We come along and half of us or two-thirds of us are sick because he also told us, now don't sin. But we go ahead and sin. Be pure, he said, in everything. Everything. And we don't do nothing he tells us to do like he said do it. Nothing. But when he, if Jesus, under this new covenant, bore our sickness and removed our disease, then he planned for us to not have, be sick. In fact, let's turn over the next page and under the new covenant. Everything this afternoon is going to be into the new covenant. Matthew chapter 10 Verse 1 says, And when he called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. How much power did he give us over the devils? All. All. He gave us power to heal all manner of sickness, all manner of disease. People said, but Thurman, he was talking to his disciples right there. Well, that's true. In verse 7, he says, And as you go preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out devils. Freely you have received. Freely give. Awesome statement from the king, isn't it? Somebody says, But he was talking to those men, and he was commanding those disciples to do that. And he was not talking to you and me today. Well, let's go on over to Matthew chapter 28. And let's see who he was talking to here. Matthew 28. Verses 18. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He has now defeated the devil. He has now went to hell. He has suffered in hell so that the wrath of God would be poured out upon you. Just like Acts 2 says, He shall not leave my soul in hell. Well, let me tell you, He was in hell for you. 
He went there to pay the price for you. But since he had no sin in his flesh, when the wrath of God was poured out upon him, and it paid the total price for all sin and reconciled all men unto God, then sin could no longer hold him. Death could no longer hold him. And he came back from the dead. And he came back among breathing men. And now that he's paid the price for you, and all power in heaven and in earth has been given to him. All power. So the devil can't do nothing today, nothing, absolute nothing, except Jesus say, okay. He is in total control. And then look what he says in verse 18, or verse 19. Go you, therefore, he's talking to his men, those same men that he had power to cast out devils. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, and teach them, the new converts, to observe all these commandments for all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Is that an awesome statement? So as they went and made new disciples, they were to teach the new disciples to walk holy, to give no place to the devil, no sin in their life, and that you have been given power and authority over the devils. And when somebody gets sick or afflicted in the church, he says, get them to repent of their sin. And then let me show you what he says. Turn over in Mark. Let's go to the end of the chapter of Mark under the same condition. Mark 16. And let's see what the Lord said do here. Mark 16. And we'll go to verse 15. We'll see how to get healed and what we're supposed to do. Mark 16, 15. And Jesus said unto them, Go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Now, all anybody in this earth got to do to be saved today, since the price for salvation has been paid by the king, all anybody has to do is believe. When you believe, you get saved. You know why it's so easy for people to accept Jesus as Savior and so difficult for them to accept Him as healer? Because you don't have to see anything to believe you're saved. You don't see anything. There's no... No manifestations or anything that takes place. So it's much easier for you to believe for salvation than it is for healing. Because if you're sick or afflicted, or you've got scars or something on your hand, you know where you've got to walk with God to have the kind, God kind of faith that if somebody comes up to you, like this little girl up in Arkansas, she had a, a problem with her arm, and she had a great big long scar right there where they'd cut into it to put the bones back together. Probably four inches long at least. Maybe longer. Big old ugly scar. And I saw her in a, I think it was a Burger King, McDonald's or whatever, one night after church. I said, young lady, how did that happen? And she told me how it happened. I said, well, are you, are you a born again Christian? She said, yes, I am. I said, would you like to get rid of that scar? She said, well, of course. I said, well, if you're a believer in Jesus, Jesus can take that off. Now, first of all, you've got to begin to think a little bit like God to even ask that question. Because the average person will not believe that God can do these kind of things. 
They just don't think he'll do it. But Jesus said, if you can believe as you have believed, so shall it be done unto you. So for your limitations, as you have believed. Do you believe he's going to heal somebody? Do you believe he's going to deliver somebody when you pray for them? If you do, he's going to do it. Because he's already paid the price under the new covenant. I told her, I said, we're having a meeting down here this week. And we're going to have one tomorrow afternoon. I said, if you'll come down there, we'll pray for you. And I'll guarantee you, Jesus will take them scars off of your arm. She said, man, I'll be there. So the next evening, she was there. I prayed for her. Asked the Lord to take those scars off. And she said, when are they going to come off? I said, that's the only thing God don't tell me is when. But I said, I guarantee you, they will come off. If you'll stay in faith with me with no doubt. The next night, she come back. I said, she said, what do I need to do? I said, well, do you go to school? Oh, yeah. She said, I go to school. I'm still in high school. I said, tomorrow, you go to school, I want you to tell all your friends... I had a preacher pray for me last night and my scars are going to go away. Well, she said, but what if they're still there in the morning? I said, no, they'll still be there. I can guarantee you. But I said, you tell them they're going to go away because we prayed the prayer of faith. So the next night she comes to the meeting and we prayed the prayer of faith for her. And she went and she told her friends. And the next night she came to the meeting. And I said, keep telling them. And Friday when I left, her scars were almost completely gone in about four days. Just a little bitty line left. Isn't God awesome? He's awesome. You know, I mean, I've prayed scars off of numerous people. Numerous people. Young man standing back there running the camera. Had huge scars 10 years ago on the back of his hand. And I prayed the prayer of faith for him. And in four weeks, God completely removed every one of those scars off of his body. Took four weeks for him. But he took them off. He doesn't have a single mark on his hand. Not on his body, nowhere. And I've used the, the agreement that God told us in his word. And we're going to go there right after... We talk about verse 17 and 18. After Jesus said, go into all the world and, and teach people how to be saved. And everybody that will believe will be saved. Everybody. It's a free gift. And verse 16 says, and verse 17 says, and these signs shall follow them that believe. Well, there must not be very many believing believers in the church. Because he said, and these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, you shall cast out devils or demons. You shall speak with new tongues. You shall take up serpents or the devil. And if you drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt you. And you shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Isn't that an awesome promise? Why in the world... Is not everybody, in fact, let's put it like this. You go to church, you walk in, you meet brother so-and-so this morning, say, praise God, brother, how are you doing this morning? Praise the Lord. Hey, praise the Lord, I'm doing good, but I'm not feeling too well. I must have a little t- tab of a flu or something. 
But is he going to ask me to pray for him? No. No. He wants me to give him a little sympathy. Because that's where we live, in the church. Instead, I walk in and say, how are you doing, brother? He said, would you come over and cast this devil of hell out of me? I'm having a little attack from the devil. I've made sure I ain't got no sins left. That devil's trying to mess with me. He's trying to give me a stop-tap head. And I'm just about fed up with this beast. The Lord, Lord said, come over and lay hands on the sick and cast out devils and the sick will get well. He said, now I'm ready to be healed. And with that kind of faith, guess what's going to happen when we agree in prayer? You don't even have to agree in prayer. You just reach up and say, come out of him, you devil of hell. Be healed in Jesus' name. The king says, king standing right there. He said, devil, do you hear what my two sons agreed on? Get out of that boy's life. And he gets healed. Now when you... When you begin to get the Word in you and the Word becomes a revelation to you, how much harder could He have made it? Lay hands on the sick. Lay hands on the sick. They'll get well. Lord, I mean, what do I got to do? Rub him all over, Lord? You said lay hands on him. How much of him do I have to touch? No, just walk up and say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. That's all it takes. When he's walking in faith and I'm walking in faith and he's got his sins repented up, the king is there to do exactly what he said he would do for you. You may get an instant healing, like several of you in here have, but sometimes you don't get an instant healing. Sometimes it takes a week or a day. I mean, there's a precious lady here right now. I haven't t- taken any testimonies, but I should have. I know I've got several good ones here. The lady came up while ago and she said, I was here last month, and she said, I have not been able to sleep on my side or my back for 30 years. I've been in excruciating pain. She said, you prayed for me, and my pain instantly left. She said, I've been able to sleep on my back. But she said, I'm still not able to walk fully without my cane. I said, when Jesus starts something, ma'am, He never doesn't finish it unless you get into unbelief. So all you need to do is continue to praise Him and worship Him and thank Him. I said, you know He's already done it because you had that pain in your back. And sure, and you know what it's like to have pain for 30 years. She had it too. 30 years. And she said, the pain is gone. I can sleep on my back. She said, every morning about 4 o'clock, I just wake up praising God because I don't have no pain. So you, know, you all know, where, you know what she's talking about. She's here today. The lady's here right now. She was here, came up all ago and told me. But she said, am I doing something wrong? I said, no. Just keep praising God and it won't be long till you won't need that cane at all. Just begin to worship and praise the King. You know, He is healing you. Did He say He would instantly heal you when He said lay hands on them? He said you'll recover. How long could that take? It could take a day. It could take a week. It could take a month. It could take six months. But don't not believe God. Believe Him and thank Him and praise Him. Just like Philip back there when I prayed for Philip ten years ago... His little body, at 11 years of age, was covered with warts and scars. And he'd had the warts for eight years, and he'd had the scars for a while, because they'd tried to burn these big warts off his body, but the warts came right back in the scars. But yet, when I went over there and prayed for him, the warts started coming off immediately. There was a tangible evidence of warts falling off his body the next morning. But within three weeks, Philip didn't have a single wart on his body anywhere. But then that fourth week, he didn't have a scar on his body. And he's here today. You can talk to him and ask him about this after the service is over. He'll be back there. You can go back and look at his beautiful skin. I mean, ten years ago, 
he said this to me. Mr. Scrivener, I hate these warts because everybody in school calls me warty. When you're an 11-year-old boy and your body's covered with them, I asked him I said, the other day, I said, do you have any pictures of you when you was little? He said, no. Nobody wanted pictures of you like that. He didn't take any. He didn't want nobody to take pictures of him. He looked awful. But who put that on him? The devil. How much power do we have over the devil? Let me show you the verse we use for Philip. After his mother and dad repented, right there is a place right there where you can drive out devils and lay hands on the sick. And did God promise to heal you? Yes, He did. So when you get your sins repented of, all you've got to do under the new covenant is believe these promises. God cannot lie. Titus 1-2, He is a God, He is not a man, and He cannot lie in Titus 1-2. So if God can't lie, and He said right there, this is the King speaking Himself, these signs shall follow them that believe in My name, the name of Jesus, you shall drive out devils, and you shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Do you think he meant what he said? He meant what he said. But he also meant what he said when he said, When you come to me, you must believe that I can't and will do what I promise to do. Because if you don't believe that I'll do what I promise to do, you don't come to me in faith. In James 1, 6 and 7, he said, Then you're double-minded and unstable in all your ways, and let not that person think they shall receive anything from the Lord. That's what I'm telling you. I would never personally, where I am in my walk with God, life or death, I would never, ever go to a doctor with sickness and disease. I ain't going there. I haven't in 20 years. I've had some pretty serious things. I had a brown recluse spider bite me on the elbow last year. Everybody, anybody know what a brown recluse spider is? You know how deadly they are? I mean, I had an aunt got bit by one right here on the leg, and she spent six weeks in the hospital and six surgeries and still had a huge scar on her leg. When she died, she still had that scar years later. And I don't know how much money that cost. I trusted God. I didn't go to a doctor. I kept working every day, and in one week, I didn't have a mark or a scar on my body, and Jesus didn't charge me a dime. He had already paid the price. But I'm going to tell you, the first afternoon, whenever my arm was swelled up right here, biggest, the whole biggest, my hand is a half inch thick, all soft and puffy. If you look at that, and then the next morning when I woke up and it was soft and puffy from my wrist to my elbow, I mean to my shoulder, my whole arm was swelled tight, or not tight, but puffy. But Saturday morning it was hard. This is, just, this is beginning to get down to the point you're going to find out what you're made out of. Right, Sherry? That, Sherry saw it. She, she was there. She was there. She saw it. In fact, that Saturday afternoon, you were there when Dave done the surgery on me, wasn't you? You didn't look at it? Or do you want to watch the surgery? Anyway, when I say surgery, my arm was so hard, I asked Dave, now, Dave's got a van. I've never seen a man that has everything in the world in a van. But he's got everything in that van. I mean, it's, and he knows where it's all at. He's got it organized. He's not just throw it in there. I asked him, I said, Dave, have you got one of them little surgical kits? He said, I got one in my van. 
I said, well, would you go get it? I need you to cut this hole open and I need to squeeze some of this devil out of me. So Dave goes out there and gets his little surgical kit. He comes and cuts a hole in my arm and starts squeezing this blood and pus out of my arm. And so we did for, I don't know, an hour, I guess we were there. What was, and he was cutting and uh, squeezing that out of me and it got to feeling better and better. I said, praise God, we squeezed that devil out of me in the name of Jesus. I am healed. So by the time I come to church Sunday, I could bend my arm, no problem. But by next Friday, I didn't have a single mark on my arm. Completely healed. But I've seen several things like that. I've had several problems, but I always stand on the Word. Now then, the second or third morning, when you wake up and you look down and your arm is hard and stiff, you can only imagine what that devil's telling you, right? You fool. You fool. You waited too late now. Even the doctors can't save you now. You're going to lose that arm. Oh, no, devil. No, no, no. Because Jesus promised in the Word. He's my healer. And He promised to heal all of my diseases. All of them. Not part of them. This Psalms 103 says, and this is the benefit package. Forget not all the Lord's benefits. Who forgives all of your iniquities. Who heals all of your disease. Not part of them. All. What do we not understand about all? Is all not inclusive? Yes, but it's obvious we don't believe that. If we did believe that, we wouldn't as a church. When the devil tries to come upon us and do something to us under this new covenant, we would not go running down to the doctor so quick. We would, number one, repent of any sin. We'd look for a source. We'd get rid of it, get right with God, rebuke the devil, and thank him. Now then, just like out of GLC the other night, there was a lady came up after the uh, service and she said, I need to be prayed for. I said, okay. I said, do you have all your sins repented of? She said, well, I think so. Well, I see, you need to say, I know so. Yes, Lord, I've repented of everything known and unknown. Lord, I come to you clean and pure in the blood of Jesus. Everything's repented of. I said, now then, Jeremiah 1.12 said he watches over his word to perform his word. I said, so what scripture are you going to use to stand on for your healing? Well, she said, I don't know. I said, well, what promise do you want? I, did only, I just spoke in an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes, two 45-minute sessions on the promises of God under the new covenant. And she didn't know one. And I said, ma'am, we really need a scripture. Well, she said, okay, by his stripes I was healed. I said, do you have any idea where that's found? No. I said, is it in the old or the new or both? Well, I don't know. Both. That's right. It's in both. Isaiah 53, 5 and 1 Peter 2, 24. It's in both Old and New Testament. I said, do you believe that? She said, yes, I believe that. Now, see, this is where your words are very, very important. I said, so what do you want me to do then? She said, I want you to pray for me so I will be healed. Now, wait a minute. There's a controversy here. If she believed by the stripes of Jesus she was healed, then why does she need me to pray for her so she will be healed? Are you all understanding where I'm coming from? If by the stripes of Jesus you were healed, then if that's really a revelation to you, and that's really true to you, then it's already been done. 
All you've got to do is make sure your sins are repented of, kick that devil out, and get up and walk off. Praise God that you're healed, because it's already done. See, now that's what I've done since I've learned these things. I've learned it's already done. I've already been given power over the devil. The healing is already there. The healer's in me. And if I repent of sins, even if the devil attacks me and he does not have legal right, and he'll do that too once in a while, just to put you to the test, when he does, you don't yield to his ways. You make sure there's no sin in your life. You rebuke the devil, command him to leave and get up and walk off. And as you walk out, your healing will manifest and the devil will leave. And if you were healed on the cross, Jesus has already done everything he's going to do. He's already healed you. But most people don't know that. So since they don't know that, we as Christians walk in sickness and disease because we do not believe that by the stripes of Jesus we were healed. If by the stripes of Jesus you were healed, then all you got to do, if that's revelation to you, is were or was past tense. If I was healed, then praise God, I am healed. So I make sure all my sins are repented of. I drive the devil out with scriptures like Luke 10, 19, and 20. And then I get up and say, I'm going because I don't have to have anybody pray for me. Nobody needs to pray for me. I ain't had nobody pray for me for healing in over 20 years. I just know when I hurt myself or something happens, I know I'm already healed, so all I do is just keep on working. Keep on working. Keep on praising God. That by His stripes I was healed. And the manifestation occurs. So you don't need nobody to pray for you for healing. But, if Jesus says that we are healed, then we are healed. But now then, if you don't know that, then you can take this magnificent promise that I used on Philip. And since Philip's back there, I use him for an example. And some of you, uh, you know, might... uh, Matthew 18... This is one of my favorite scriptures. I have seen God do more awesome things with this scripture. Wow, have I seen Him do wonderful things. This scripture is the scripture that Philip and I and his mom and dad stood on ten years ago for the warts, all those big warts to come off his body and all the scars to come off his body. Warts and scars. This is the scripture that covered that. Matthew eighteen nineteen. Matthew chapter 18. Verse 19, Jesus makes this awesome statement. Now think about, this is for you, and if you are you and a person, another person, or a man and a woman, that's walking in a love relationship. Now you've got to remember, these promises, all beginning in the Old Testament, how many commandments did God tell you to obey? All of them. You think He's ever changed? He still plans for you as His children to be obedient. In all, did he, did he tell you to grumble and complain? He said, don't grumble and complain. Did he tell you to walk in love? Yes. Did he say, husbands love your wives? Did he say, wives be subject unto your husbands? What do you think he meant? Children obey your parents in all things, because this is the will of God. Do all things with prayer and thanksgiving. Don't put nothing in your mouth except you praise it, praise, pray over it and thank the Lord for it first. How many of you are like I was for years and like a little pig that sat down every time and just gobble up all them good groceries and never one time tell God thank you for nothing? I know some of y'all probably done that just like I did. But Cheryl and I now, 
we pray over everything. In fact, Cheryl asked me after we got married. She said, honey, do you pray over everything? I said, yes. Everything. I mean everything. She, I never, and she'd call me on the phone. You know, and I'd pray over her before I'd get, let her get away. You know, so pray over everything. It works, doesn't it, Cherry? Praying over everything. It makes everything work better. But look at this magnificent promise in Matthew eighteen nineteen. Jesus is speaking. After you get your sins repented of and you're walking in obedience to the word. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Now, what kind of a promise is that from the king of the universe? Is that pretty awesome? If there's two of you and you're on earth and you've got your sins repented of and you're walking holy in obedience to the Word of God, what can two of you come to God and ask Him for and He'll do it? So what do we not understand about all and anything? See, when you start thinking like God, what can you ask Him for as a new covenant believer? Anything. Will He do what He said? Yes, He will. He promises under the new covenant. Isn't that an awesome promise? And we just read over there in Mark 16, we can lay hands on the people, cast the devil out, and lay hands on them, and they'll be healed. Did He make that easy? Who's that for? Obedient children. Children that's walking in obedience. Not children that's hiding a sin in your heart. In fact, there was a lady here a while back told me a story that blew me away. She said, I thought I had the most awesome husband. He was a deacon in the Baptist church. He was a Sunday school teacher. Said we had a real nice little shop. He liked to work with woods and stuff in. He was always out there in his shop doing things. And she said, I forget how old he was. He was about 65 or 68 or something. Perfect health. And just died. Just died. And one day she said, we were out there in the shop trying to see who was going to get what. What was going to do with stuff. And one of the men looked in there and said, ma'am. He said, where's the door into the room in the back of the shop? She said, there's no, this is all there is. He looked out there and he says, no, no, there's another room in that shop. So he gets a tape measure, measure, and it's about a six foot room in the back of that shop, but there ain't no way to get in it. No way. So they start moving things and finding, they finally found a little excess hole big enough for a man to crawl through. And they opened the door, crawled in it, and when that man went in there with a light and found a light switch and turned the light on, he told her, he said, ma'am, you don't want to come back here. I I don't want you in here. You know what was in that room? Every kind of pornography in the world. That man was hung up on pornography. And in his own little room in the back of his shop that he went in there and done all his secret things and she never knew it. And it killed him at a early, early age. Isn't that amazing? She never knew it. Never knew it. He so hid that. But can you hide those kind of things from God? No. 
and it will cost you your life prematurely. Amazing what people do thinking God does not know what they're doing. What happened to that man? Somewhere as a young man down the line, he yielded to a demon. And a demon came in him, and then it's a fallacy of the church. We have not taught what opens the door to demons. There's really no telling how many men and women that are hung up on these kind of things, and they don't think there's an answer. But there is. And the answer is Jesus. That's just like this a year ago, over a year ago, when Bill Gothard called me with those two young men, both of them one at a time. The first one was down in his back, walking with a walker. Doctor been to the doctor. The doctor gave him three options. And Bill said, Thurman, I thought I'd call you and ask you what you thought. I said, I give him a fourth option, and it's Jesus. Now, why is it we don't think about Jesus? That's kind of amazing in the church, isn't it? So I made sure the young man's sins were repented of. You know what his sin was? This might hit some of you. He was a fine young man in his 20s. Already had back surgery once. And now then is ready to have back surgery again, walking in a walker in his early 20s. Not exactly where most young men, 22, 23, 24 years old, wants to be. I already let the devil beat up on him, but yet he's going to church, walking obedience to the Word, and I can't find a single thing this young man's doing wrong. Everything, I was 45 minutes on the phone with him, I couldn't find one single sin. And so then after I talked, I said, well, since I can't find any other sin, let me tell you what your sin is. He said, what is it? I said, you have the sin of unbelief of the promises of God. And Hebrews 3.12 says, if you have the evil heart of unbelief. What does God call unbelief? An evil heart. If it's evil before God, guess what you're going to get from God when you pray? Nothing. An evil heart of unbelief. I said, son, you don't believe God's promises. He just bowed up. He said, Mr. Scribner, I do believe God's promises. I said, well, either you don't believe them or you don't know them. He said, what do you mean? I said, turn to Matthew 18, 19. He turned to Matthew 18, 19. What did Matthew 18, 19 say two of us could do? What? Two of us agree on earth as touching what? What does we not understand about anything? Makes us wonder, doesn't it? I said, son, you don't know that, do you? I said, you don't believe that. He said, well, sir, I've read that. He said, but I guess truly I didn't believe that. I said, of course you didn't. If you'd have believed that, you'd have found another believer and you two would have prayed the prayer of faith and God would have healed your back. Because he promised it. But now, Thurman, maybe it's not his will. I said, oh, oh, oh. Or maybe his answer is not yes for me on that. Well, see, that's when you've got to know the Word. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, and I want you to see how many of the promises of God are yes and how many of them are no. 2 Corinthians 1, 20. Now, then, if God can say yes and no, then He can't be a faith God. If God can say no to His promises, then you cannot come to Him by faith. So what does he say in 2 Corinthians 1.20? So how many of the promises? 
all, so what is it we don't understand as Christians about all? All the promises of God are yes and amen if you're in Him. Is that what He said? I mean, He can't make it much clearer than that, can He, brother? So all the promises of God are yes. So if all the promises of God are yes, and then that we take a promise like that, and that young man repents of his sin of unbelief, and we pray the prayer of faith and thank the Lord for healing his back, what is God going to do? He's going to heal him. And guess what he did? Instantly healed him, standing right there. I mean, instantly healed him. And about three weeks later, Bill called me with another young man, about 25 years old, and he had a couple of little sins. How many of you realize when you're 25 years old and you're a young man and there's a lot of pretty girls out there, you know how hard it is to not lust for one of those girls? Well, this little boy had this problem. Only a couple of times. But how many young men do you know that have that problem? Nearly every one of them. Especially with some of these women walking around here that are pretty that are so scantily dressed. Now, the women, we really need to get on the women. The women are supposed to dress to cover up their parts. You know, they are not supposed to dress. Of course, the women of the world, you can't tell them what to do. They're going to do what they want to do. You know, I mean, you can go to an airport, you can walk down the aisle, and I mean, you can see more skin than you can imagine, both men and women. You know, they're everywhere. You can't, you have to really concentrate on what you're doing. To walk out in the world. I walked into a restaurant the other night. And there was a woman sitting there with a deal on it with plumb to her belly button. And she was sitting there leaned over like this. And there wasn't nothing left to your imagination. You looked at me and just looked right off. You know. She's sitting there. No bra. Nothing. You know. Just leaning over. Well, anybody could walk and look down there. Well, good grief, you know. You know, I know lots of men that reach their hand into that. You know, that's a temptation. But that's what the devil's doing, so you don't look. But if you look and you meditate on it, first thing you know, that demon's got legal right to you, and then he's working on you. And then you get that demon of lust. You don't want to go there. That's why women should dress, but they don't. But anyway, this young boy had lusted a couple of times. I got him to repent. He's on his bed, sick with his back, and he can't get up. He repented. We took Matthew 18, 19, prayed the prayer of faith for him, and he got up off the bed and walked off completely healed. What did, what did the Lord say two of us could agree about, sir? Anything, didn't he? So, one man and one woman walking in obedience to God's Word, you as a couple in your home, if you got all your sins repented of, what can the two of you agree about and get from God? If you believe Him, you can, can't you? If you believe Him. But see, you've got to pray the prayer of faith. Pray the prayer of faith. See, that's just like when you take these promises. Like Isaiah 53, 4, the Lord says that He bore your pain on the cross. If he bore your pain, then do you, do you think he expects you to have pain? No, he does not. But you have to know that and claim that. Then, if the, if the Lord says he bore our pain, and he doesn't expect us to have any pain, then if you come to one of these magnificent promises like we just read in Mark sixteen eighteen, he said, lay hands on the sick and they shall do what? Recover. But let's go a step beyond that. Let's go to Mark uh, chapter... 11. 
unless the Lord has given us more than just lay hands on the sick and they shall get well. Mark 11, verse 22. Let's look at these magnificent promises from the king. Mark eleven twenty-two, And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. Or have the God kind of faith. Now, if you have the God kind of faith, he says, For verily I say unto you, in verse 23, that whosoever shall say... Now, who's he talking to? Whosoever. Are you one of his children? Yes, he's talking to you. That whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have... Whatsoever he saith. If the devil comes upon you at your house, in fact, the lady is here also that came up here just a few weeks ago and she had a knot on her back. And I think it was about this big. I didn't uh, feel of it. I don't think I did. I might have put my hand on her back right there. I don't know. But anyway, she had a knot about so big. And she said, I want you to pray over that knot. I laid my hands on her body somewhere and I rebuked the devil and commanded him to leave in the name of Jesus. And guess what she came up a while ago and told me? She said, in seven days after we did that, the knot was completely gone. See? Now see, it was just a demon. Now see, the Lord says right here, I say unto you that whosoever... Now he could have put your name right there, couldn't he? Whosoever shall say unto this mountain. Now, that day, it wasn't a very big mountain. It was a little one on her back. But the other lady that I'm talking about that had had the pain in her back for 30 years and couldn't sleep on her back, that was a pretty good-sized mountain. So we spoke to that mountain, and from that day forth, she's been able to go home and sleep on her back and everything with no pain. That's commanding a mountain to leave. That's She's grateful, I can tell you. She's grateful that the king has done this for her. But the Lord says that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. Uh-oh, that's the kicker. Shall not doubt in your heart. You've got to believe he'll do what he said he will do. But shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Lord, I'm a little short on money in this week. I'm having a little problems out here, but I'm a tither. So I know you're going to meet all my needs. Now, Lord, I want to thank you. And you say all that, and you walk out and you run up to your brother and say, How are you doing? He said, Well, oh, I'm not doing too good. I'm sure a little short on money. And I mean, if God don't show up and send me a check this week, I ain't going to make it. Forget it. You're grumbling and complaining. You're not believing in faith. Your check is not going to be in the mail. When you do something in faith, you say, Lord, you said because I'm a tither, you promised to meet all of my needs in Philippians 4.19 according to your riches and glory. You said in Luke 6.30, given it shall be given unto you. So, Lord, thank you that you've met all of our needs. Praise God, it's done. I know the check's in the mail. It's done. In fact, not just the check's in the mail. Several of them are in the mail. And our needs are met 
according to your riches and glory. You walk outside and say, how's things going? <laughs> how's things going? Praise God. The checks are in the mail. The Lord's met all of our needs because we're His children and it's done. And the checks are in the mail. And God meets it. But He don't. Does He like grumbling and complaining? Oh, no, no, no. You ain't going to get nothing from God grumbling and complaining. Don't grumble and complain. He don't like it. But if you say these things, you can say to those that believe these things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. And then look at verse 24. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Under the new covenant, what kind of promise is that? Is that awesome or is that awesome? So, under the covenant, new covenant that we have, whatsoever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them, and you shall have them. Is that what he said? That's the verse I used for Caitlin. Now, let me tell you how this works. I trusted doctors for ten months on the valve in Caitlin's throat. I didn't realize I was trusting a doctor. When we left the hospital, the doctor said, we've checked her all over and there's not really a whole lot left wrong with her except the valve in her throat does not work. So we put a plug in her tummy so you can feed her with this liquid food through this button in her tummy. Pump it right in there. So I went home and took Mark eleven twenty four and I prayed the prayer of faith for the thing to work. And I thanked the Lord that it's working. You said, Lord, whatever I desire... When I pray, believe, and it's done. So thank you, Lord. The valve in Caitlin's throat is working. So I kept feeding her with a little deal in her tummy. And then at two months, I took her back to the doctor, fully expecting that valve was going to work. But I got there, and he checked it, and it didn't work. I thought, Lord, what's going on? You made me the promise. I prayed the prayer of faith, and it didn't work. So I went back home and prayed the prayer of faith again. After I prayed the prayer of faith this time, I thanked him and praised him and worshipped him for the whole two months. Went back down there to the doctor in two months. He checked it. It still don't work a leg. I'm thinking, what did I do wrong? So I go back and I, re- I go through the same scenario until ten months. Five times. At the tenth month, I come home and I said, Lord, I've sinned. I don't know what I've done. I, I don't have a clue what I've done. But you said you do not hear the prayer of a sinner. Psalm sixty six eighteen. I do not hear the prayer of a sinner. <clears throat> okay. So, Lord, I must have sinned somewhere. What did I do wrong? So I opened my Bible and I read Mark eleven twenty four, 24. All over and over and over. Many times a day for two weeks. Two weeks. That shows you how dense I was. Isn't that amazing? Whatsoever you desire, I desired the vow of working Caitlin's throat. When you pray. When? Not two months from now when I go to the doctor. When I pray. Believe I have received. And he, what did he say I'd have? I'll have it. 
So when I finally got revelation on that verse, I said, Lord, I thank you. I repent for my sins of unbelief of your promises. This is a promise to the new covenant church. This is us, Lord. This is the new covenant you've made us. You've given us all power over the devil. You've given us all the authority here to pray in faith. And you'll answer and do anything we ask you for. You give us a blank check. And I didn't believe it. I said, Lord, forgive me. I repent. Now, 1 John 1, 9 says, when you repent, he forgives. So now that I'm clean again, I come back to the Lord and I pray that prayer of faith again. I said, Father, I want to thank you and praise you for restoring the vow in Caitlin's throat. Now then, Lord, I believe it's done, finished, right now. I get up and I walk across the driveway to where Toby and Caitlin were staying at the time, that little guest house of ours. I said, Toby, God's waiting on you and me. He said, what do you mean? I said, the vow works in her throat this morning. He said, Thurman, we just come back from the doctor two weeks ago, and he checked it, and he said, it ain't never going to work again. I said, I know what he said, but what he says is not what the Word says. I said, now I repented for my sins of unbelief. I prayed the prayer of faith for Caitlin this morning, and right now I guarantee that valve works. He said, how do you know it does? I said, because the Word says it does. Now then, you want to know why there's not very many faith people in the world today? Because we don't believe this book. We don't believe these promises from God. He has given us as the New Testament church a blank check to walk above sin, above sickness and disease, and we will not believe these mighty promises He's given us. But I said, Toby, that valve works. He said, Thurman, what are you telling me I'm supposed to do? I said, we're supposed to feed her. We've got to act on the Word. He said, Thurman, if I give her something to eat or drink, the doctor said it's going to run into her lungs and kill her. I said, I know what the doctor said. I heard it. But I said, I also know what the Word says. And the Word says the valve works. If this is your only granddaughter, Grandma, is this going to put you to the test? Yes, it did me too. I said, feed her. So he put out some applesauce and a little bottle of orange juice. I called Caitlin. She was in the other room. Toby said, Thurman, what if you're wrong? I said, Toby, let's face it. The doctors told you day one she'd never live. I said, did she live? Yes. Doctor said she'd never see again. Does she see again? Yes. Doctor said she'd never move a muscle. Is she running and playing? Yes. Doctor said she'd have scars all over her face. Does she have a scar? No. I said, don't you think it's time you start believing God? Well, see, we don't. Do we, Sherry? No, we don't. Yeah, we want to be a water walker. That's right. Praise God. So anyway, he set her down. He set the food down there, and I called her. She's in the bedroom playing. I said, Caitlin, honey, come in here and jump up there and sit down in that chair and eat that applesauce for Granddaddy. She jumped up, sat down at that table, took that. That's the first time she had had a bite in her mouth in ten months. Took that little spoon, put it in her mouth, wipe down, eat that whole bowl of applesauce, drank a little bit of that juice, and run and played. And she's been eating and drinking normal ever since. And now she's seven years old. Now then, 
That's what I say. You understand what faith is. When you ask God to do something, you must believe He will do what He said He will do. Now, you don't know how many people I've had come to me, both men and women. Determined? I know the Word of God is true. I have listened to your tapes. I have read these promises. And they're in there. But I don't understand why it don't work for me. I don't understand why I'm still sick. I said, well, ma'am or sir, what did you do with your medicine? Well, I'm still taking it. In fact, I got a doctor's appointment Thursday. I said, I'm going to tell you what's wrong with you. You are not trusting God. You're trusting the medical system. And that's not trusting God. There's no faith in what you're doing. You know how hard it is to trust God? It's hard, isn't it? Well, especially when it's your body. I'm sitting there looking at Sherry and her husband, Dave, which is back there on that camera. Just a couple of years ago, a board hit Dave in the mouth just about Christmas. It come out of a saw, and there's a little board about that long, a piece of two by four, and it hung in the blade, and it slung that thing out and hit him in the mouth, and it busted his upper jaw, his lower jaw. It busted his lips open. I mean, they were laid all over the place, and blood was just gushing everywhere. And he comes to the house with his hand over his mouth and knocks on the door, and Sherry comes to the door. She said, what happened? He said, go upstairs and pray. He knows when that woman prays, things happen. So she went up and prayed, and he come back. Now he said, "Go back up and pray some more." So she went up and prayed some more. So he was sitting there with his hand over his mouth. Then one of his sons come in, and his son ain't got the kind of faith Daddy does. He said, "Dad, I'm taking you to the hospital." So they did. They took him down to the hospital in Fort Worth. They sewed up his mouth, and they X-rayed it and said, "Everything's broken. He's going to have to have surgery." So when I got there, I. Walked in. I said, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going home in the morning. Ain't going to be no surgery for me. Of course, he didn't say it very good. He wasn't talking very well. But he was talking. But he said, I'm going home. I'm a man of faith. doctor said, you must have those bones put back together and screws or pins or clips or something or they're not going to get well. He said, no, I ain't going to let you do nothing. Jesus is my healer. And he went home. And in one week, you could not see a scar on Dave's face. One week. One week. And he's back there right there on the camera. And everything grew back. Jawbone grew back. Upper jawbone grew back. Everything. No surgery. And he can, he can still eat sherry out of house and home. Can't eat sherry. He eats well. What does God do when you step out in faith? He does exactly what he said he will do. Is it easy to trust God? It's really not. But when you take these, are the promises here? They're here. We just hit a few of them this afternoon. If you got any kind of sin in your life, you need to repent of sin, get rid of sin, and then one of the greatest sins in the church today is the sin of unbelief of the promises of God. You need to repent of those and say, Lord, you said... If two of us on earth agree about anything we ask you, you will do it. Or you told us to repent and then cast out these devils and lay hands on the sick and they will get well. Lord, you said, in fact, we hit this, we'll have just a couple more of these and then we're going to quit for the day. I want you to see in John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
just we got just a couple more powerful healing scriptures. John 14. I want you to see how awesome these are. John 14, 13. Now this book is full of these promises. John 14, 13. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Is that awesome? And then go right on down to John 15, 7 right there. John 15, 7. If you abide in me, if you... Now see, here's a requirement. This goes back to the same thing under the Old Covenant where he says... Obey me and do everything I say. He said, if you abide in me, in other words, and keep all my commandments, and my words abide in you, he said, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Pretty awesome promise, isn't it? Then step right on down to John 16, 23 and 24. Just, we'll just hit a few of these and then we're going to quit. John 16, 23. And in that day... That's what he's talking about today. And that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto or before now have you asked nothing in my name, but ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Are those awesome promises from our King? And then the last one, we'll go to James. This is the only sense knowledge prayer in the whole Bible that I can find today. James chapter 5, verses 14, 15, and 16. James 5, 14, and this is a sense knowledge prayer. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith, and not the prayer of unbelief, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. With that kind of a promise in God's Word, why in the world does anybody in the church ever go to a doctor? Isn't that amazing? With that promise, that is a guarantee from God to heal anybody that comes to Him by faith. You know, I've seen terminal cancer. I've seen everything imaginable to man healed with that verse. I've seen men on their deathbeds within a week of dying. Two or three or four times I've seen this. That once the sins were repented of, and usually it's unforgiveness, either in them or their spouse. I've seen men on their deathbed with cancer that was as pure and clean as any human being you ever find. But their wife had unforgiveness in her heart toward three or four or five people. And that put him down, and you cannot get him healed as long as she has that unforgiveness. When a man and a woman get married, how many do they become? One. One. That's right. Both of you got to walk holy before God. Or it'll open the door to the devil. 
And guess which one of you the devil will hit? Always hit the one that's walking close to God. Always. That's the way it is. He'll always hit the one that's walking close to God. So, that's something, isn't it? Who did he guarantee to heal in James 5.14? Everybody. That'll come to him and confess your faults and stop sinning. Now, whenever Jesus healed the man that had been sick for 38 years at the gate, or at the, uh, at the pool of Bethesda, whenever he healed him, after he told him to take up his bed and he walked, you know what Jesus told him when he came back? Stop sinning, lest something worse come upon you. Is that a pretty good indication we should stop sinning? He's only been sick and afflicted for 38 years. That's a pretty good little chore right there. But stop sinning or something worse than crippling, whatever it is, is going to come upon you. Just like the woman that had been caught in adultery. They wanted to stone. He forgave her, but he told her, Go, woman, and leave your life of sin. Why do you think he told us in the church to leave sin? Because he knows what it brings. He made the system. He knew everything about it. So, if you today need to be healed, you got somebody with you, or you need to be healed, all you need to do is repent of all your sins. Make sure they're all repented of, and then grab hold of one of these promises, any one of them, you'll need it to stand against the devil. And then when you come up here, we will pray the prayer of faith for you or do whatever is necessary according to the Word. Either drive out the devil, lay hands on you, anoint you with oil, or whatever you want to do, or agree with you in prayer, or whatever. And if you will believe God, again, think, now, how many of these promises to you is yes, and how many is no? All of them are always yes. That's what he said, wasn't he? So, if God said that, this is not something I'm saying. We're just repeating what He said. He's the healer. All you got to do is believe, and when you do, He will always release His healing power to you. But you got to believe Him. You got to believe Him. If you do, He will heal you. He will heal you. He will do what He says. We have seen many, many mighty healings here. I mean, some of you here today have received some of those healings. And I just didn't take time today for testimonies. But many of you have. So as you talk to people around here today, you might share, you know, with people. Say, I've been healed or whatever. And let me tell you what Jesus done for me. Because he said, that's what you're supposed to do. Tell people. So now then, we're going to close in a word of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you and praise you for this day, for this July the 9th Healing School of 2005. I want to thank you for all the people that came. And I want to thank you for healing every one of them. And the, one that, the ones that came that didn't need healing, may they be stronger in knowledge when they go back to their other churches. May they be able to take these promises and show them to people so that people where they go will be able to be healed where they'll stop sinning and walk holy before you so we can walk in the abundant life that you promised. Now, Father, I thank you and praise you for this beautiful day. And I thank you and praise you for healing your people when they repent of their sins and stand in faith. And I praise you 
that today you're going to heal them all. Because you always send out your healing power to heal us when we step out in faith. Thank you, Father. It's done. In Jesus' name, amen.